Welcome to the Friends You Wish You Had podcast, a special Marx Brothers edition. I'm Jeff Marks. I'm joined tonight by my brother, NBA fan extraordinaire, Jason. <laughs> so it's an all Marx Brothers show. Say hello, Jason. What's up? How are y'all? How are you doing? How are you living in these pandemic times? Uh, you know, hanging in there one day at a time. Thankful, grateful that I'm healthy, employed, uh, hanging in there. How right about on. You? About the same, about the same, about the same. Yeah. Um, but, you know, definitely a challenging, challenging time. So, you know, try and take times. Yep, that's for sure. Try and uh, pass a little of the time as we're under quarantinement talking about uh, Michael Jordan, The Last Dance. It was uh, it was quite the spectacle. Michael uh, Jordan, born in Brooklyn, raised in North Carolina, the one and only MJ. Like everyone else, you and I both religiously watched the ESPN epic 10-part Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, that wrapped up about two weeks ago. Indeed. The Bulls, Scotty, Phil, the Jerrys, MJ. It was like a walk down memory lane of like this whole 15-year period that I feel like I lived. And then I lived it with you. And it was, you know, you were the biggest fan I knew. And, you know, um, it was highly anticipated. We There's some teased. shame there in my fanhood. You know, it's, you know, well, we can get into that, but yeah, yeah. it was certainly enjoyable while it happened for sure. Yes. Um, teased by all this never before seen footage that was going to be in this. And with the pandemic going on, of course, and no sports, it like took on a whole level, other level of like must see for not just sports fans, but I feel like pop culture junkies too, you know, we're like, here's this chance to get in on Michael Jordan. Definitely. So I think it was it's the highest rated thing ever on ESPN. That's not like, you know, an SEC championship game kind of thing. So people certainly certainly uh certainly watch the show. Um so let's just dive right in and talk about the film itself. I want to get to some of the Michael Jordan NBA questions, the bigger picture ones a little later, but let's let's dive in. You are the right. biggest Jordan fan in my life, without a doubt. <laughs> And you have a unique expertise and perspective on this. So what did you think of the documentary? You know, it was... The film itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say I felt like it was... Uh, my initial reaction when I first heard it was coming out was I thought it was going to be about that last season, uh, primarily with all this footage that they supposedly shot and has been in storage for years. Um. And then when I watched it, I realized it was really, you know, come fly with me 2.0. Um, you know, it was really the Michael Jordan story, uh, which is always, you know, it was incredible to relive. Um, the nostalgia factor is always there. Um, t t you know, it, it took me back to a time in my life where, you know, he was probably the most important thing in my life uh, for many years, uh, following the Bulls and him sort of coincided with my um, love of basketball at the same time, growing up, middle school, high school, et cetera. So it took me back to that time. So for that, it, it, was, it was, you know, it was incredible to relive. At the same time, I didn't really learn anything new. Um, you know, I think just the mystique of Michael Jordan and who he is and how he played, how he, his charisma, I think, shines through. You know, he's just this, 
you know, I think, you know, he either called himself or Reggie Miller called him Black Jesus, I think was like the best nickname I could think of for that guy with the impact he had. So kind of reliving all of that was pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, overall, you know, I thought he did some people dirty in it. I think he comes off, you know, to see the human side of him. I think it was clear that if he played in this day and age for all the debate about how he would do and would he score 50 points a game? I think it's clear, like, you know, it would be a whole other ball game in the social, with the social media world for that guy to maintain the image that he was able to maintain during those years. So let me ask. So yeah. Would you say yes or no that you really enjoyed it? No, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, so yes. Would you say yes or no that it lived up to your expectations? Uh, I would say it lived up to my expectations. Yes. Okay. So that's good. So that that's pretty good. Yeah. You're not saying it's perfect, but it's pretty good. I um, yeah yeah. I it's a lot. It was a lot to take in. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of characters going. You know. There's a, I, uh, I liked it a lot. I have. Yeah. A, uh, you're my brother, man. I had the same reaction. I'm like, I want to see the movie about that last season. I know all this stuff. I knew it point by point. You know, like chapter by chapter. Like, yeah, this is what happened. And there's a couple little surprises, but for the most part, like. Yeah, you know, they, they win game seven against the Pacers. Like, you know, like all that stuff, you know. But the chance to see this footage, to see him in full HD just going bananas like only Michael Jordan could. Like, sort of like yeah. the one flaw in Jordan's game is probably he never played in the HD era. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, otherwise, yeah. it's pretty flaws. Yeah. And then it wasn't that film, and it was more just this, like, da-da-da-da-da, A to B to C documentary. Um, the that didn't really have the compelling Jordan interview. Even the interview to me wasn't that compelling, but he told you the story, you know, from his perspective and it's certainly about him. So I enjoyed yeah. it, but yeah, it didn't live up to that next level that I would have liked to have seen it um, gone to. But so let me ask. So, yeah, I, so, I agree. So yeah. moving on favorite, what was your favorite episode? Would you say of the 10 or favorite one or two episodes stretch, whatever, however you want. I think to, the yeah. last two are my favorite because it was more about that last season. And then the last episode probably was my favorite because it sort of, you know, all came together and you got more of that behind the scenes footage from that last season. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, just on its face, just, you know, I remember where I was watching all of those games Um and just that whole nostalgia factor that, you know, it's sort of a human thing that's kind of unexplainable, but it conjures up a feeling that's unexplainable, but it kind of puts you back in that time in your life and where you were and what you were doing. And, and just let me just real quick for the yeah. people who are listening. So when you first started watching Michael Jordan, how old were you? Uh, I was probably 10 or 11 in the 1986 in the, or seven. And in the 98 last dance season how old were you uh 22 22 so you were i mean i know where you were you were in college we were in college i was in college in Tallahassee. um so you were 22 and i was 26 27 so and um, i followed it as closely as i followed him as closely as i could from that moment at 10 or 11 so those 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 final episodes like kind of took you back to that period and that's that period college uh late 90s you know um just dropped right back bill clinton was president uh seinfeld you know that whole period of living in tallahassee and going to school and um yeah 
Definitely. Is there a favorite moment in the favorite episode, or is there any any like one you're like, oh, this is the most? Actually, I, I don't remember it was episode nine. Or, I think it was episode nine, but the, the scene when uh, they beat the Pacers and he walks out and he meets up with Bird, and they have that exchange in the, like the hall locker room or the hallway. No, it's it's like he's leaving on a golf cart, and it's like mm. the entrance to the stadium and. Just seeing him and Larry Bird kind of in a private moment, like off camera, out of their uniforms together, like kind of Bird is the coach. That um, that was cool. That that, that was, was so cool. cool that was really guys cool. were like superheroes, you know. Just seeing yeah, that scene, human moment. That scene, and I it was like six or seven, maybe at that All Star game from the year with him, Bird, and Magic was sort of the same thing. You're like, oh yeah, yeah. Those are people, and they're standing together. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, that scene was so cool, I thought, uh, just seeing those two guys in that moment after that, you know, game seven. Um, the other thing that stuck out to me in the documentary was just how far the game has evolved. I know we might get into that a little bit more. Let me, just... yeah, let me, this is the one thing I was going to say before we get into that is just, I think my favorite episode was episode one. And there yeah. was that montage they did of him, like, you know, the, the savviness of like Jordan in, in the 98 seasons is like unparalleled. It's like amazing. But the yeah. raw young came into the game and just took it over Jordan. You know what I mean? Those first yep. six years, seven years, like, holy shit. And they had that montage that was set to that um, Eric B and Rock Kim song. Um, I ain't no joke. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Like eighties, late eighties. Oh, that was awesome. I'm like, that was like, that just, that changed it all. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, for the, for the, for the one fan that might be listening, like, you know, you were, we were, it was like 1986 and we were on a family vacation and the family was going to go do something. And you're like, no, I was 10, this yeah. 10, you were like this 10 year old. It's like, I'm staying in and I'm watching this Bulls Celtics playoff game. And we oh, were I remember like, you, you yeah, went you, to a Braves game. We were yeah, in Atlanta. And, and we yeah. were like, you're crazy, but it was that era where you would leave a 10-year-old in a hotel. You'd be like, whatever, <laughs> sure. Yep. And you stayed and watched that game. And that was the 63-point game. I mean, it was like, holy shit. Um, and you were so early to that, you know. And, yeah, that just the, in the whole story, like, I just think understanding that he wasn't the first pick in the draft. And I remember the 84 Olympics, and that was like the coming out party. Like, I mean, I also – I mean, the first time – MJ was ever on my radar was watching that Georgetown Carolina championship game. And he was just the like freshman who hit the shot, you know, but it was really like James Worthy was the star. Yeah, I was too young for that. I was six yeah. at the time. So, yeah. you know, he got drafted and after that Olympics, you were like, he didn't go first in the draft, huh? Like, I mean, you know, cause they, they had never, he'd only won as a freshman. And then in his junior and sophomore and junior year, you know, he was player of the year and it was a lot of hype, but they didn't even, they didn't win another NCAA tournament or anything. And, you know, and he went third to the Bulls. And it was just like after that Olympics, you're like, oh, this is coming. Like, you could just feel it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then – and just the way, you know, just catching that wave. And I got to – you know, like I'm sure the times make the man. But, I mean, the way he played and the way he changed the game in his play, the fact that they're able to create this aura around him and this, like, organic, real, like, you know, just him and Spike, you know, doing these ads. And, you know, that period, it just, in that first episode, I was like, yeah, that was awesome. You know what I mean? Because usually I think about the end, but the beginning, 
you know, was incredible. And the play was incredible. You know, it was just like no one had ever seen anything like that before. There was never a guy who was like the best player on the floor and led the team in scoring. You know what I mean? That wasn't like a yep. ball hog that was shooting over 50%. You know what I mean? Incredible. But it was just like more incredible. than that. It was, uh, yeah. you know, just the, the mystique, the charisma, the way he ran, the way he shot free throws, the way he moved, like everything, every way he spoke after games, like you just wanted to, you know, be near that energy on some level and just the beauty with which he played. It's just like, I, I don't think anybody's ever seen anything like it. And uh, at the same time, I was just starting to pick up, like, start like peewee basketball, you know, like I played some football and baseball and I kind of fell in love with playing and started watching him at the same time. So it was just like, yeah, he, he became like a superhero. So that, uh, that, sure. like that a mythic figure. <laughs> so that early part uh, of the story ended up intriguing me more than the ending, I think. I think as it went along, I felt a little like, I was just yeah. getting a little more tired of it. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Why it wasn't like the greatest thing since sliced bread to me is because nothing really surprised me. It was like, you know, like you said, there was a little bits, little things I didn't know, but I remember all, you know, most, if not all of those stories and sort of, I mean, everyone that followed Jordan closely knew all those stories. You know, they knew the high school, getting cut from the high school team and how competitive he was and drama with Jerry Krause and, uh, you know, Rodman and the first retirement and the gambling, you know, that was all widely reported. So we didn't like learn anything new, I feel like. Yeah. And all the stuff that people, I think people have been talking about, like pizza and the, these little things, like it just don't really matter. There's like little details, you know, uh, but like the larger themes, like the drama that they had to overcome and, you know, the Phil Jackson and Dennis, you know, all these characters and Pippin with the migraine. That was all, you know, there was nothing in this film that was a surprise. It's been a long time since anybody talked about it. Yeah. So nothing yeah. really surprised me, to be honest with you. I, I uh, think but maybe that's just because I was such a, you know, obsessed fan during all those years that I just remember all of those things. Um, I think what... You know, but did anything surprise you? Yeah, I, I think it surprised me or just stood out to me sort of that it has been 30 years, you know, that has gone by. Oh, and, yeah. And oh, how, provi how provincial the game looked, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like how, you know, just compared to today, like, you know, whatever. The low scores, oh, my God, oh, yeah. 79, 73. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, definitely the play and the players, yes. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that, I just meant more about the Jordan drama. There wasn't anything that really surprised me. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, the other thing was sort of like the lack For of sure, agency though. of the players, you know what I mean? Was just It was just a different era. Like management controlled the show. And if you didn't yep. play ball, even if you were Michael Jordan, they could kind of mess with you. You know what yep. I mean? Like not at yep. the end, but certainly at the beginning. Um, and totally. got even, you know, even a guy. So let me, let me, let me, so character by character. So start, what was there one thing about scotty that stood out to you you didn't know like what was the scotty moment that you were like oh wow or you know uh the story he told about his like childhood and upbringing in arkansas with the father and the you know the having a couple people in the house in wheelchairs like we didn't know any of that stuff totally and I just never even thought about any kind of human side to Scotty Pippen before and like you know every all the it just reminded me about all the focus was always on 
Jordan that this guy who was just so incredible was just so overlooked that nobody yeah. even knew his story other yeah. than he went to a small college in Arkansas and, it, you know, had me, a migraine and, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, it, you know, it, it just reminded me of how incredible of a player he was, uh, particularly at that time. Like, there's nobody like him. What you about know, uh, is one of the best small forwards in history? Uh, so it's a reminder of kind of how good he was. What uh, about what, and a little bit more about him? What about when I what about Phil? What would you say you're um, just kind of reinforced like, that I love his leadership style, you know? Yeah, I think the author, authoritarian Riley types that or like my high school basketball coach who was such an asshole, the way they, you know, to have a guy who's kind of, you know, the Zen master who's kind of, you know, you know, you know, relate to people in a human way and get the best out of people in a way that doesn't involve fear and screaming and yelling and putting people down. Totally. Um, that, that it reinforced that whole view of him getting a little bit more of an insider look. Um, and, you know, I just think what an incredible career. And, you know, it's no wonder he got the two different franchises with, the you know, some of the best players that ever played over the hump to win all those rings. What about – That was clear. What about Jerry Reinsdorf? Um, you know, it just – I thought he came across as – you know, trying to put a happy face on the way it went down. Um, and I thought he came, I, I think it's clear to me that he was sort of the villain in that whole story of the drama that was created, even though I think they tried to pin it on Jerry Krause to some degree. But the, he, that he, guy owned, yeah. he owned the team. It was at the end of the day, he was making all the decisions and setting the tone. So Yeah, um, he tried to pawn it off on Krause, I thought, and the players and, you know, a guy could have made anything happen. I, I think that uh, I, I, the one thing I'd say the Reinsdorf thing is that is that tying it back to the Scotty Pippen thing. After hearing Scotty's story and why he needed that money, he needed a certain amount of money guaranteed. He couldn't risk it getting hurt or anything. Yep. And that Jerry Reinsdorf, I don't even believe it when he says, "Oh, I told Scotty not to sign it." I think he says that and he's rich and he can get away with saying it but I think that's total bullshit but even beyond that that he wouldn't just tear up that contract with all the money he was making and the and what Scotty did to that just to like you know maybe not make him the highest paid player in the league but something like what would you know Pippen was just like you know dude you're killing me and totally. I think that it really made me just not like Jerry Reinsdorf more than I didn't like him, you know? So yeah. that was my Jerry Reinsdorf reaction. What about, so what about moving on to the next Jerry, Jerry Krause? So I just thought, you know, this is grossly unfair. The guy's dead. You know, he can't defend himself. And, um, you know, uh, you know, they had labor management issues in the Bulls organization. And, you know, but the guy put together the team that won six titles. So I, I just think, at the end of the day, and just some of the like treatment of him. That could you, you make saw. the argument? Could let me. Could you make the argument that Jerry Krause is the greatest GM in the history of basketball? I think you could easily. Me, yes. That's what I. That's that was my. I mean, you know, I knew all the stories like you, and I loathed him. And he does seem like a petty little bigoted white man, but yeah, you know, whatever. He couldn't defend himself in the film, absolutely. But that's the other takeaway. He is the greatest GM in the history of the NBA, and if he were a GM today 
he would be an owner would get on his hands and knees and pay him $15 million a year for seven years to come and run the team, any team he wanted, um, uh, however he wanted. And he would never have to put up with Jerry Reinsdorf's fucking bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, and some of the fact that he had to deal with that bullshit to me is probably explains why he was a prick to these players. Cause Jerry Reinsdorf demanded it. I'm sure I'll bet you Jerry Krause was grossly underpaid compared to you know, other GMs in the league. I mean, I, let me say grossly underpaid partially because at the time that position didn't merit that kind of status. Like in today's game, right. there's the status attached. Back then it was just like, whatever, I'll get another GM. It wasn't this, you know, Nobody knew who the GMs were, like the average yeah. fan. Now people know all of them. Yeah, so I think, you know, to me, it's like for as big of kind of a prick as he is, it's like his decision-making and the team he assembled, starting with, drafting Jordan which again Jordan was not a sure thing that they were going to take him like it was obviously when they could knew they could get him I mean they were blown away but you know they didn't draft first and just the decisions from there trading for Pippen like man what a move even to like go and getting Kukoc you know what I mean he's over there in Europe like getting these guys the Phil move oh my god what what a move to to pick Jackson out of the choir and like you know, bring Oakley them in for Cartwright. That, that well. huge move. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, because yep. that first team, I think that's the other thing, too, is like the second team with Rodman and whatever. That first team was the wrecking crew, man, with Horace Grant. I mean, Horace Grant was a ball player and that Cartwright trade. And I mean, they were an awesome team with Pippen and Jordan in their kind of physical apex prime. You know what I mean? Incredible defensive team for Incredible, sure. You know, um, good bench. So, yeah, Jerry Reinsdorf, that definitely – and, uh, you know, that definitely blew me away. Um, Rodman? Yeah, I thought – but I thought Krause really – yeah. Sorry, Krause, I apologize, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, Um, definitely. um, What about Rodman? But I came away with it. I mean, some of the stuff at the end was unfortunate and seemed kind of ridiculous with the ultimatum about Phil Jackson at the beginning of the year. It just doesn't, it kind of doesn't make any sense, but at the same time, this is the guy that brought in Phil Jackson and found Phil Jackson and, you know, and had, and then Scotty Pippen had all these issues with him, but he's the guy that traded for Scotty, you know, so, you know, you kind of have to look at the whole picture. Um, but yeah, it's just unfortunate. I think people would have loved to have seen them do it another year. But I, I just I felt at the time it seemed like Jordan was ready to walk away again well, at the time. Well, let's get we'll get back to that a little later. What, yeah. what about what about staying with the sort of the characters and the players? What about Roger? Sure. Um, you know, nothing surprised me. Um, you know, the partying. You know, pretty incredible. Loved to have hang, hung out with the guy <laughs> a couple nights during those days. Um, <laughs> You know, one of the things I think just what astounds me now that I'm an older dude, you know, 44, which is crazy to even say, just, you know, looking back and, you know, I played basketball, high school, you know, I didn't play professional or college. I played intramurals and just just thinking about having that kind of energy, right, to be able to play like that and party all night and stay up all night and drink all night and then go play again. And I just, it's, it's like a marvel. It's like a, I don't know, it's like a wonder of the world to be able to live like that. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think he can't, I mean, I think it was the perfect role basketball wise for, um, in terms of having Phil Jackson there and Michael Jordan there. He came off as someone who like just, flat out worshiped and continues to worship Michael Jordan. Yeah. Um, so I think that kind of helped keep him in line. Um, 
because he just, you know, recognized how incredible Jordan was. How could you not? So he was, you know, he was the leader and he could, you know, he, he would listen to him and Phil Jackson just has a way with everyone, you know, letting him go to Vegas. He could do what he did and it was unbelievable on the court and you knew even though he had bounced around and he had had that shit in San Antonio where he took his shoes off in the playoff game or whatever that yeah. was. And it looked like he might've been out of the league. Like no one would even deal for him. Like the minute the bulls came into the picture, you were like, Oh yeah. Like MJ yeah. was the one guy in the league with that could just be like, get your shit together and play. And clearly, like you said, it was obvious Rodman totally looked up to, MJ and was like, I'll go to war for this dude. Like there's no totally. really very few other people who have my respect, but this guy has it. Um, it makes you wonder when he like cracked. I, I don't yeah. like, you know, because in Detroit, he was such a different dude. Yeah. Um, totally. And then at what point, you know, I mean, who knows, but yeah, it's yeah. just interesting sort of how that happened and what, you know, some of it I imagine was just kind of his own self promoting and marketing. Um, what about sorry yeah. i'm just gonna oh go ahead yeah what about isaiah thomas so i you know watching following all of that closely at the time i i freaking hated the pistons hated him but you know you had to respect the game uh, guy was incredible uh you know i i kind of agree with what I think I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree with what Jordan said that he's the second best point guard of all time for sure. Um, the move when they walked off the court, I remember that vividly and, yes. you know, this visceral hatred of them. <laughs> um, you know, and, and like, you know, that was the end of their run. I mean, he was out of the league by 93, tore his Achilles, I think, and that was it. Yeah. For him. Um, and, you know, and then all the stuff with the Knicks after he left, you know, I don't even remember everything that happened, but it just all seemed kind of, he seemed, you know, very unlikable. Uh, I have to say that when I watch him on TV, I kind of like his personality. I like his analysis. Um, comes off as a nice person. I don't know. But yeah. Like, um, but yeah, you know, I just think like, those guys, this was like at the time, the Olympics was a novel thing that these pros were going and, uh, you know, they had to get, they knew they needed Jordan and Magic and Barkley and that crew. And I just think those guys didn't really want to be around Isaiah Thomas for that summer. And it was that simple. Yeah. And he did uh, have shit with all three of them, you know? Like, yeah. And it, and I feel like for people that weren't around during that time, I mean, it was, it wasn't now it's just magic bird and Jordan, but then it was, you know, magic bird, Jordan, and Isaiah. Like there was no question. He was in that elite group of players in the league. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean say he was, he wasn't the best one, but he was as good at what he did. You know, none of them played the same position. Well, no, he and magic played the same position. I take that back, but you know, a different player than magic. Yeah. And he was awesome. And he, you know, whatever, but yeah, I hated them walking off the floor, just all oh. of it, you know, like, just all of it. But I also, but I mean, it's all relative because, man, I wanted them to beat the Celtics so fucking bad. So bad. Man. Yeah. So bad. But it's yep. like the minute they did it, like he said that shit about Bird and then he said that shit about Magic and the shit with fucking 
whatever. It's like, listen, dude, if that's how you're going to roll, like, don't be surprised when they boot you off the dream team. Like, totally. You know, I mean, like, I, whatever. I think, you should, you you know, should wear he was it. probably a dick. And, you know, his play yeah. was brutal. How could you like someone that kind but, of played that way? And but that it was the way they played. But it was also, to me, kind of going back to the film as a whole, it was like, it disappointed, I wasn't disappointed in Isaiah because he's always sort of like that. It, and it wasn't the Isaiah Thomas documentary, it was the Michael Jordan documentary. And what Jordan had to say about that whole episode was just so boring and by the book. And, you know, he didn't yeah. pretend like he liked him, but he was like, it wasn't my decision. It's like, well, then why am I listening to you talk about it, dude? You're not really telling me anything, you know? Yeah. He should have been like, fuck yeah. Fuck Isaiah. I'm Michael Jordan, like motherfucker. Like he played dirty. He's a shitty fucking competitor. And like fuck that guy. It's basketball. I'm not like I all respect to his game. Instead, I gotta it was say like, though, you know, you know, one I didn't quite realize, but I did that scene when the Celtics walked off the floor the year before. Like that's just kind of what teams did at that time. Um, you know the footage I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, and like so, you know, it's kind of like we don't I, like each other. It was a, you know, they beat us. We're, we're leaving, like whatever. Who cares? Uh, you know, but really well, even same thing. I, I wish. Yeah, you know. I mean, you know. Yeah, I, I just think that it was like the fact that Jordan was like, I still hold a grudge about it to this day. I'm like, dude, you're a 60 year old billionaire. Like, why do you yeah. give a fuck? Like, you know what I mean? Like, just move <laughs> yeah. along, dude. What do you, you know, whatever. Like, you don't. Yeah. Like, I felt like. When, like, I remember when Michael Jordan gave his Hall of Fame speech, and, you know, I remember him as a player, and it was like was there was something so, yeah. you know, you know, 15, 20 years ago, there was something so amazing about his level of disdain for everybody else. You yeah. know what I mean? But 20 years later, it's just not as charming, man. Like, and it's okay yeah. to look back. If he could be like, listen, I'm not proud of all that behavior, but like, whatever, you know what I mean? But I just felt like he's like, that's who I am, you know? And yeah. I'm like, and okay, but it's not even that it's, I'm not even judging it. It just was boring in the film. It's like, okay, it's a one note thing. This is who you totally. are. Totally. You know, like whatever, like you have nothing else to say about it. So anyway, so, um, and that leads me to the last thing was like- Well, was but the other thing I was gonna say, sorry, is that, you know, Jordan, I remember, I heard Isaiah talk about this at the time, had said, you know, Pistons weren't like legit champs because of the way they play. And, you know, he said some kind of Bush League things about that, yeah. uh, which I think I imagine at the time the Pistons took a lot of offense to, kind of like they weren't legitimate. But, man, they're the only team to ever beat, you know, Bird, Magic, and Jordan. And they really should have won three in a row. Uh, they got hosed in that Lakers series. They lost in seven games with that Phantom foul and Kareem. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that was yeah. a series where Isaiah had 25 and a quarter in the finals on like a spring broken ankle. leg, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in 90, that's what I'm saying. In 91, when the Bulls swept them, it was so anticlimactic because the Pistons, you could tell, were just done. Like, if you look back at all the teams that have been to like multiple, you know, more than two finals in a row or three finals in a row, those teams are spent at the end of that run. Like they yeah, were just totally. gone and Isaiah was hurt. And so, yeah, the Bulls were probably no. going to beat them anyway, but like. I think that it was also apparent. Yeah. Michael Jordan said a lot of Bush league stuff about a lot of people like, you totally. know what I mean? And yeah. you know, like, and then from the perspective yeah. of the film, the fact that he couldn't just express that was boring. It, it was just like, whatever. It, you know? Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah. you know, I, that was the other thing to me is I just think that, 
the the film to me like the and I, and I guess I, I'll let me say this first but the way I'm asking it is like what was the thing about Michael Jordan that surprised you the most and I'll I'll, I'll go first which is sorry to just <laughs> jump into my own question but it was the thing yeah. that I've just been thinking about is like Michael Jordan is one the best or one of the best players ever to play the game. There's nothing that changes that, but the sort of like winning the six rings and the whole like mystique that no one was afraid of him. And he like willed these wins to happen is like, that's just the story, man. Like he was on the best team with the best players. And he certainly like luck is the residue of good design. I'm not saying he's not the best player, but it's like, if they don't draft Pippen, do they win six rings? And it's like, probably not. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and just the idea that it's like, these guys are all amazing players. And it's not to say I'm lumping in Jordan with all the amazing players. He's whatever, maybe at that next level, but so much of it is just the breaks that you get, how you come into the league, where you go. Now you can certainly, especially in basketball, will yourself to get a ring and, you know, get to the finals or a lot of achievements, you know what I mean? But the aura that he was like on that level where just everyone just fell at his feet and whatever is like, no, that's, that was just like the, that's the myth, you know what I mean? And you see it to me so clearly in the documentary. So that was what surprised me the most. Yeah. Throw the question to you. Um, you know, I would say, you know, I think just being young at the time and like following him so closely and just thinking of him in this like superhero terms and this kind of mythic dude who only existed on television. And can, can I ask, let me ask you this in the same, along the same lines. So there yep. was bird and magic and they were yep. pretty fucking mythical. You know what I mean? Yep. How tell, how do you think Jordan took that to the next level? And, you know, and he, so I, I think, young. I think the, the level of athleticism, the, the way he played, you know, just, you know, the over the rim kind of game, the, just the, just flawless footwork, uh, you know, the mid range game that just the kind of the way he shot his jump shot is like flawless. Um, you know, just the, the numbers are staggering, um, but just kind of just the way there's something about the way he looks and carries himself and like glides around a court with this charisma that like is just we've never really seen that in, a, in an athlete. Um, just very it's just it's hard to even I mean, there's there was, I remember at the time there were all these. You know, there's like a rare air book and all these things about him that just there's something about the mystique that he brought to the table that you know he just, made it art like watching right. an artist mm-hmm. uh, you know paint on a canvas kind of thing gave you that sense or like a you know an incredible ballet performance or like you know all those videos growing up to come fly with me's and the uh, the superstar video and they show the montage of highlights to every you know take my breath away just seeing that as like a kid, you know, I think people were just captivated. I think they saw some of that in Dr. J, but not quite the grace and charisma. Um, and, you know, people just, you know, and just flying through the air and dunking on people and just, you know, just the way he glided around a court, there's just something about it. I don't think we've ever seen that. I think attracted people to, to him that weren't necessarily in love with basketball and why part of them, you know, a huge part of the reason he became this cultural icon I that think he did, you know, the cultural icon. There's nobody quite like him. Totally. I, yeah, I think he, he, he has changed basketball like no other player. 
I mean, yes. there's some players that have changed basketball, you know, whatever, you know, and I'll make the first LeBron mention like LeBron has changed basketball, but or Wilt change the or will too. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, he, I'm not saying LeBron's the only one. I'm just saying, you know, right yeah. now, will too. And, but Jordan had changed it more than anybody. Like you anybody. just, and I think the best analogy, you know, the best story in the documentary about that was the story about the shoe deal. So yeah. here's magic and Larry and they're the top of the league and they're getting a hundred grand a year. And this guy's got such hype behind him and such a flair to the way he plays his game. And he hasn't even played yet. They're like, here's 250 grand. Yep. And, and they basically, they, and your own shoe in your own shoe. Yeah. Your own shoe. Here's the Converse had those different color ones for all those guys. And they were all in the same commercial. Yeah. They couldn't get their own shoe deal. Boom. Yeah. Here's this guy. I love that commercial like, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. I yeah. had those, I had those Sixer yeah. Converse shoes. Um, yeah. So, and then here's Jordan is 250 grand and Nike's like, ah, we'll do two, 3 million in revenue in the first year. Yeah, and they right. do 80 million. And yeah. all of a sudden it's like, like the Broadway lights turn to the NBA. I thought it was more than that actually, but yeah. I thought in the lot. first year they, they said they did 80 million in revenue. Okay. You know, that yeah. was just year one and they are based on a two, you know, expectation of two. Yep. And seeing those, I remember seeing those, I think I might've seen the first Mars Blackman commercial before I saw she's got to have it. Like I knew about, she's got to have it, but I hadn't seen it yet. Like it wasn't out on video. And I remember reading about it and it was like, and it was like, there's Spike Lee and like, Oh, how could they make this commercial? And it's so fucking cool. And, yeah. and it was like that happened and he came into the league in his rookie year. And it was just like that buzz. And it was like, all of a sudden the NBA was like must see TV. And that's what Jordan did. And he, this, this sort of like, this this billion dollar global business now like he like i feel like magic and bird like they were the kerosene you know on the fire it was like yep. building and building and then jordan it was like the match and then now yep. you're in a, in a in a you have a league where you know the knicks are probably worth eight billion dollars and you know players are getting five-year 250 million dollar contracts it's like that's all due to michael jordan and what yep. he did and you know, he set so, the table for basketball yeah for modern the, era of basketball yeah sure you know whatever it's like you know i don't know if there's newer players that are on mount rushmore you know what i mean but he's on mount rushmore you know because, absolutely you know like yeah. i mean you know jfk and fdr are not on mount rushmore you know what i mean so you know but but Teddy Roosevelt is that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's not about who's the goat or whatever. It's just like for the guys who are there that made it what it is. And it's like, you know, in, in, you know, if you go 1985, if you go back 25 years in 1960, like the NBA in 1960 was nothing. It wasn't on, you know, it wasn't even in the conversation of like the top sports in America. If 1985 and Jordan, it, it, it becomes, and it's been there for 25 more years. So it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you know, so, and he, he did all that, you know what I mean? There's, there's no doubt about it. And I think his definitely just this and just seeing even when he came into the league, how, like, a, you know, how provincial it was of a game and, you know, oh yeah and the expectations were like so low for everything, you know, for the money that could be made for the level of competition. And I just think he's like, I, he sized it up and he's like, I can go harder and I can do more. And you know, there's money in that besides what I make in my contract, you know, and just this whole world that's there. And he, you know, he seized it, you know, and he backed it up on the court for sure. But no other player before that had that same kind of unique opportunity, you know. Um, 
I think at that level, you know, like sort of that's the part where maybe the times make the man too, you know, and you know, America's racial attitudes had changed quite a bit by 1985 from say 1960, you know, so that had sort of changed. And so there was an avenue, you know, that way. And I, you know, I also thought that too, you know, I mean, definitely the human side of it, like, yeah, it would have been great if he would have been like, fuck Jesse Helms, that motherfucker, you know what I mean? But that was a lot harder for a guy like Michael Jordan to say, I think in 19, you know, whatever that was, 86, 88, you know, versus, you know, today, you know, it's just definitely, you know, I think he was a lot more at the mercy of white America than, you know, guys are today. I I agree with that a hundred percent. I also think though it is, you know, it's disappointing in the sense that, you know, like I look at like right now with all the police shootings and this Floyd death in Minneapolis and, you know, players speaking out today and just, when I think back to like, you know, everyone's talked about Michael Jordan's impact on them and this cultural icon. I mean, just, you know, just what he meant to me as a kid, as like a middle-class white kid in Miami. Um, you know, I mean, it was like a sense, it was like an aura and a sense of excitement when like they were, I knew the Bulls were in town to play the Heat, you know, it was just like, if that guy had, you know, decided to take a position on any any issue whatsoever, who knows what the ramifications could have been of that or the outcome of that could have been if he put his weight in behind something. Because, I mean, it would have reached everybody. Uh, there's no, very few figures in the history of our country have had the, you know, fame and scope and reach of a guy like that. Um, so in that sense, it's, to me, it's disappointing. But at the same time, like... I get it. Not everyone does that. It was a different time. Um, you know, just the way he carried himself and I'm sure he does a lot of positive things in his world and, and just the, the icon that he became and all the positive things he does. It's great. It's just disappointing looking back at the kind of impact, you know, just knowing, I mean, I think other than like Michael Jackson, I can't think of anyone more famous. Um, yeah. and, and just, and just the impact, even to this day, and people still worship the ground he walks on. I mean, they have shows dedicated to the LeBron Jordan debate still, you know, just, you know, these people are so threatened by LeBron even touching that throne. Yeah. It's, it just seems, you know, it's like, I think it was just more disappointing that it's night. It's sorry. It's 2020, 2019. And he's still sort of the same way. It's like, dude, the world has moved on. It's like to sit there and just be like, ah, I just, I'm rich and I play golf and whatever. Yeah. It's like, dude, that's fine. But then don't be in a documentary about yourself. You know what I mean? Like, it's like the world is, you know, there's shit going on in the world. You have nothing to say about it. You know what I mean? That kind of right, thing. Exactly. And even, and I'll yeah. tell you, there was a really interesting story I never knew. It was in that Shut Up and Dribble documentary on Showtime about, mm-hmm the year that the, the LA finals, like they were in LA and it's when the Rodney King verdict came out and the riots were, you know, and there was literally talk that the players might boycott the game. You know what I mean? Like it was like that level of tension, but you know, they chilled everything out and they played the game and they never really talked about it. And I think, I think I don't, I'm probably going to get the story wrong, but I'm going to just say it how I remember it and apologies if I'm wrong, but they, so they went to the White House and Jordan didn't go. It was George H.W. Bush. Yes. So I don't know. If, I'm pretty sure Jordan wasn't there, but they go to the White House and Calvin Hodges, 
who was a player for the Bulls. Craig Hodges. Craig Hodges, thank you. Sorry yep. about that. Craig Hodges yep. was a you know was a was a legit player, you know, role player, position player for the team. Incredible three point shooter. He brought a personal letter to George H. W. Bush saying, like, you you know, America's got these racist problems and you should try and work on them. You know, he didn't make a scene or anything like that. Um, yep. he was very respectful and he gave the president a letter. And he also wore a dashiki to the White House. And this was like a scandal. You know what I mean? People didn't even know about the letter, I think, until re- more recently. That wasn't – but he showed up in a dashiki. And Calvin Hodges was like never played in the league again. You know what I mean? Like, yep, And certainly blackball. Jordan was on that team. And, you know, it was – and like – and so Michael Jordan, I don't need him to give me like a treatise on Donald Trump and his politics. But at least – I think like, he look skipped back, out on that visit to play golf. Could have been, you know, could have been, you know, but it's like, at least when you're doing the documentary, like that's some shit that would be interesting to talk about. And do you regret that? And like, whatever, it's like, I feel like there's this whole undiscovered side of him and it's like, you know, you know, whatever. And it just was not of him or of stories or of real questions you could ask him. And I feel confident he could answer them, but I guess he was, you know, he was in a position to, you know, give the thumbs up or thumbs down. So None of that's really in the film, but it's just a shame because I don't feel like, like, I feel like the official story is now out to a wider range of people, but it's not much. It didn't scratch the surface on anything new. I mean, we've already kind of covered that, but you know, that I was like, oh, that, that Calvin, that Craig Hodges story would be a great thing for this. Like, you know what I mean? Instead of like Michael Jordan rides the bus in the minor leagues, it's like, whatever. He went to the batting cage twice a day. It's like, you know, dude, it, it didn't work out. Like he went back to the NBA, like it's much more like, give me more basketball, you know? Like it yep. was a, at the time, and I mean, certainly, you know, I, let me, you know, just, I'll just say that um, at the time it was a big deal that Michael Jordan was playing baseball, but in retrospect, it was totally meaningless. And I, you know, and, but beyond that, I would say just for entertainment value, can you describe your reaction where you were, how old you were to Jordan's first retirement? Uh, I was in high school. I was a junior and I was so upset I had to leave school that day and go home. It was brutal. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say that. Uh, it was. It was. It was like the world was ending. Uh, it was really. You know. It was. He was the height of his superpowers. Just won that third title. Um, didn't make any sense. Uh, I couldn't believe. Would never see him play again. Um, yeah, it was really, really sad. It was like everyone was grieving. Uh, and, and the NBA clearly suffered after that. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same urgency to watch it. Um, you know, and you were curious about the baseball thing and the whole, his father being killed kind of, you know, helped justify the decision in terms of like, you know, I guess one needed to do something else or his father wanted him to play or something like that. Going through that kind of trauma. Um, I think looking back through the lens of that documentary, um, you know, living like that, you know, at that level of fame uh, and and demand and level of play, I mean, it's definitely got to take its toll um, to be in that position. So I could see where somebody, you know, you might just needed a break also. Uh, But at the time it was devastating. It was, it just, like life wasn't the same (laughs) again after that. I think, uh, I think I just want to say, uh, you know, I'm not asking these stories about these stories because they should be embarrassing. I just think I want to be clear. 
there's no shame in your game as a fan. You were committed all the way around. You yeah. And at that time in my life, I was on the high school varsity team. My life was, you know, it was, yeah. all I did was play basketball or yeah. watch basketball. Like, yeah, it was my life. So it was just, uh, yeah, it was pretty, it was tough, tough oh, pill, yeah. you know, and magic. It had to retire because it was HIV diagnosis in November of oh. 91. And then yeah, I think it was people, like, okay, you know, it was just not the same, you know, yeah. especially with him gone. Yeah, I mean, that was just one of those events. I don't know if people can understand it today. It was like, where were you when the Challenger blew up? Where yeah. were you when you heard Magic had HIV? You know what I mean? It was like, holy shit, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was walking into basketball practice and somebody yelled it out and we were just all stunned. But it's hard to, I think it's hard to explain to people today how amazing it was that they three-peated. Like no team oh, had done that yeah. in any sport in America you know, going back to the 60s Celtics, you know, no one, no, not, not, you know, just even just to win back to back titles, what didn't happen in the NFL, you know, you know, it, it, like it had happened, but it was, had been rare in the NFL. It didn't happen in the eighties in the NFL. Um, it didn't happen in the NBA really um, until the late eighties. So the fact that he won three in a row, there was a sense of like, I get it. Like what else is there for him to do? <laughs> You know, yeah. and, and I would never, and it, there's no other player I would say that about that I've ever experienced where I'm just like, yeah, what else? he's kind of won. Like he should, if he wants to go do something else, I, I guess like, you know, whatever. Is he just going to beat up on these stiffs for a fourth time? Now today, everyone's like, oh, four titles, four in a row. And it's like, you just don't understand. Like just getting to three was like, roll out the red carpet. Like this is, un, you know, it's unbelievable, you know? So I do remember that when was part of what I thought at the first retirement. You know, I, I, I agree. I, and at the time, you could see it coming because you, you saw, you know, Magic was gone. Uh, you know, Bird was, you know, couldn't walk at that time. And he was uh, like, third, you know, he was 29 or 30, which, in, you know, in 19, you know, in 1993, like, you know, 32, 33, 34, like that was the end of an NBA career. Yeah, no. yeah. So, you know, and, and, you know, the Pistons were done. And so there really wasn't like, like that Lakers team. Like I remember, you know, watching that series and, you know, it was all it was exciting because Magic versus Jordan. But like there was no Kareem. Worthy got hurt. Uh, you know, Eldon Campbell played a lot of minutes. He was a rookie. Uh, Vlade Divac, you know, Byron Scott got hurt, you know, you know, there was a game one that um, actually in the documentary didn't show this in the game one. I, I'll never forget, you know, he missed a shot at the buzzer that went in and out. And it was like, you know, it was so in and Jordan I'm talking about and they lost the game. And I remember I couldn't sleep that night and I was like, oh, man, they're not going to win the title. And da, 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 da. Uh, and then game two, they blew him out. And that's when he had that crazy game and that mood when he switched hands in the air. And then it went back to L.A. And, um, you know, they didn't show this in the documentary either. But the biggest shot of that Bulls run was he dribbled the ball full court and pulled up for a jump shot over Vlade Divac, like outstretched arm that tied the game that made it go to overtime. The Bulls won in overtime, and they basically ran away with the rest of the series. The point I'm trying to make is that Lakers team was nowhere near any sort of Laker team that won in the 80s. 
you know, and then, so there was really nobody out there that, you, you know, and the bulls were young and it just won the first one and you could see him coming. So it really wasn't a surprise to see them do it. But if you put it in the historical context, for sure, the time yeah. nobody had done it when the Lakers won that back to back, um, that was, I remember that was a big deal because nobody had done it in forever. So right. I remember Riley and the t-shirts and the parade in LA and the whole thing. So. Doesn't, doesn't Pat Riley like own the trademark on three Pete? I think so. <laughs> I think yeah. so. It's like, so he flat out retired Michael Jordan's number and hung it in Miami and nobody will ever wear 23 for yeah, ever again. Totally. I, I should have mentioned that in the documentary. That's crazy. Yeah. Think totally. About it. Totally. What about what about the what what about the squads? Like, do you think? Because to me, it's unassailable. The first Bulls three P team is better than the second Bulls three P team. But what do you think? Which three P? Wait, can I just go back for a second? If you ever go to a game in Miami for a period of time, and now you you would have seen Dan Marino's jersey and Michael Jordan's jersey hanging in Pete's arena. (laughs) That's crazy. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? No, no. So I would say to me, the first three Pete squad is the better squad. Is the better squad. But between the two, unassailable. Between the two squads, the first three-peat and the second three-peat, which team do you think is the better team? Because it's hard to quibble uh, with the 72 and 10 I would say team. the first one, they were younger and hungrier, and they knew their roles extremely well, and they faced tougher competition, I think, um, to yeah. win that title. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and they, had a, they had a good bench. Um, you know, in that Portland series, I remember the game five or game six. No, game six when they won it all. Actually, Jordan had a bad game, and the bench bailed out the Bulls, and they won the game. Uh, I remember Scott Williams gave him big minutes. and uh, That guy Bobby Hansen gave him a few big shots. And, like, you know, nobody saw it coming, but they sort of won that decisive game. Um, you know, Horace Grant, I thought, you know, was – definitely underrated and Pippen was you know elite nobody could match up with him in the league I think during the 90s let me ask early you, 90s for sure this is uh, one, this yeah. is one question I definitely want to ask you I in the in the 93 season I was busy defending our country and uh, I did not get to see any of that Eastern Conference Finals Oh, 93, you said? 93. So I remember yeah. hearing like, oh, did you hear? You know, you, there's no news and there's no internet. You know, we were, right. we we're in the woods in North Carolina. Check the box score in the paper the next there, day. Yeah, well, not even that. I, no, yeah. I mean, I think the, if we would have been, you know, I, you know, if we would have been at the in the barracks, I would have watched the game on cable. But we were in the field for like two weeks or something, you know, yeah. training. Do you um, remember when like – Wait, 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 wait. The team would play out west, sorry to interrupt, and you'd have to wait an extra day or two to see the West Coast box score. In the paper, yeah. In the paper, yeah. yeah There's no other way to see it. Sorry, but, you could, but that was more – I'd say by 93, though, you could pretty steady watch SportsCenter. But, yeah. That's true. But still, you watch but still yeah, you were certainly right. reading, you know, but, you know, not like today for sure. Yeah. Um, but so my question was, is I, you know, so I remember, like, someone was like – you know, we randomly would talk to someone who had seen a, a newspaper or a TV and you're just like, ah, what was, you know, what happened in this game? Or and they're like, the polls are down 0-2. And I'm like, the polls are down 0-2. Yeah. You yeah. know, I'm like, holy shit. And then by the time I got back to the base, it's like they were up 3-2. So were you, 
so my sense of that was like they were never in doubt of like losing any series, but in that series was certainly the biggest threat for the first yep. squad. Did you, what did you think when they went down 0-2? What do you remember about that? Uh, I remember, you know, thinking, okay, it's going back to Chicago. They have Michael Jordan. Um, let's see, you know, that age old adage, you know, series doesn't start till somebody wins on the road. Uh, sort of pragmatic approach to it. Uh, but definitely worried. I think that was definitely the biggest test in that first run for sure. And then the biggest test in the second run was that Pacers, obviously, that they explored in the docuseries. Um, you know, I just remember that the Knicks basically copied the, the Pistons style of play uh, with Riley at the helm, who kind of, you know, changed up his, you know, I think the Lakers teams he coached were a good uh, defensive team, but he realized with the Knicks, like, you know, we're not going to be able to, you know, have showtime here. So we're going to have to grind it out and beat people up and go through Ewing. And, and they sort of got super physical with the Bulls and, um, you know, they made it close and the Bulls never had like a top notch center. So that was, you know, a bit of a mismatch with Ewing. So there was definitely worry there, but you kind of always thought Michael Jordan was going to pull it out at the end of the day. You know, there was never that like worry until I saw it happen. I wasn't really going to worry, especially after they had won the two in a row. And, he, you know, after all the stuff you had seen to that point, it was just obscene. <laughs> gotcha. So you could it, not have faith that he wasn't going to pull it out. You'd be just, shocked. They just were going to go because they, because did they lose the first two at home or on the road? On the road. On the road. Okay. Then they yeah. came home to Chicago. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Because I don't have a, I remember I didn't I didn't see that at all, and then I was home on leave for the finals, and I, that's I remember watching that in Miami when I was home on leave, and it was just like, oh, that game six was just fucking best, just the fucking best. Yeah, um, um, you know, and I I also think like I I think I remember thinking after the show ended, I'm really glad, grateful that I got to see him live about a dozen times. Yeah, that is amazing. Um, which is pretty cool. And, and just that feeling of being in the arena and watching him live. And got to go to Chicago in 91 during the first title as a ninth grader and went to two regular season games. And, so you went uh, to – did you ever go – that was that wasn't the United Center, though. No, that was the old Chicago Stadium. So Did you ever uh, go to the United Center? I've never been to the United Center, only the outside of it when I went to Chicago a few years ago. What was the uh, old stadium like? Uh, it looked like a giant barn. It was old, kind of run down. Um, but, you know, I was in ninth grade, so it was, you know, just overwhelmed. I was like going to Mecca, you know, at that time <laughs> in my life. Like really, um, you know, going in, they turn the lights out and they have the spotlight and that, you know, the famous announcer's voice and they play that music and just every, it's like electric. And, you know, there's Michael Jordan right in front of you. And just, you know, at that age, it was just like, you know, seeing Superman right there in front of you kind of thing. You never saw the 72 and 10 team or the... No, I was overseas at the time. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> Watching yeah. from uh, yeah. a youth hostel in Tel Aviv. That was... Yeah, that was a crazy... I mean, yeah, it's hard to say that that team is not the greatest team of all time, but it's almost like you don't feel like that's even the best MJ Bull squad, you know? Yeah, well, you know, I think that team was incredible. I think Rodman brought a dimension that, you know, really 
improve that team to some degree. I think Ku coach brought a whole other dimension they didn't have. Um, but I, the league was so watered down, I think, in the late you know, 96 on, really, until much later. Um, you know, all that expansion, you had the Timberwolves come in, I remember, and, of course, the Magic and the Heat in the late 80s. Charlotte came in, and, like, it just – there weren't very many good teams, it seems like, at that time, particularly in the Eastern Conference. You know like, – Who was I, their best competition and, at that and, year? And I feel like, and I feel like Michael Jordan backed that up in the film because he's basically like, yeah, these guys weren't any competition at all, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like once Magic and and Bird and the Pistons were out of the picture, he was even like, yeah, I just ran through these scrubs. I mean, I think there was some respect for Barkley, you know. I mean, I think he there yeah. was some talented guys. Uh, no, there guys, were some great players, sure. You know, I mean, from him, but I just don't think he looked at any of those teams, you know, not just the players, and were like. But I also think that's how they – it's become the media narrative around all this stuff is it's all these one-on-one, mono-e-mono, and it's like take Barkley and put him with Pippen and the rest of that squad and put Jordan on the the Suns, and it could be a different outcome. You know what I mean? Like that team was like – you know, you just can't – you just can't undersell how good Scottie Pippen was. Like maybe the second best player in the league after MJ. Yeah. But that Suns team had just come together that year. Like they weren't like some reigning champion. Totally. They were like, oh, they signed Barkley as a free agent. They had Kevin Johnson and Richard Dumas showed some promise. And they had Dan Marley. And, you know, they were like, yeah, and they were great, you know. But I also think – the Bulls did get lucky to some degree. They didn't have to play the Rockets in the finals because that team, they, they destroyed the Bulls in those years when they played in the regular season. And, you know, the most unstoppable guy in the 90s outside of Jordan was Elijah Wan. Uh, and, you know, they had nothing for him. So, you know, and I'm not saying they would have won, but, like, that's a whole different matchup than playing the, the Jazz and, or the, you know, the Suns or the Sonics or, you know, whomever. Yeah. Play against a guy like that with that team that won two times. Like, they had beaten the defending champion Rockets with Elijah Wan. That's a different story to me than yeah. beat the Suns I mean, team that just came together and won 60 games. Well, yeah. I mean, they never – they never – the only team they beat that had a – had ever won a ring were the Lakers, and the team they played was the Lakers team with – you know, without Kareem. Yeah, and a hurt worthy. A hurt worthy, and the right and Magic got hurt too. I don't even think Magic played in the last game of that series. I think Byron Scott got hurt. Yeah, it was like a mess. So it was like Campbell and I. Yeah, yeah, I I I feel like it didn't. You know, I'm not. You know, it didn't help me. Michael Jordan basically telling me like, yeah, I had no regard for these guys. They weren't a serious challenge. Makes me think that like, yeah, you played against watered down competition compared to where the league's at now and some of these matchups you know what I mean and again just another thing to me it's like you know the way that Jordan's the way it works out for him is like he and he again he earned it he was that good kind of you know I'm not taking it away from but he just had the right break at every moment at every moment for like to win six in a row and that's what it takes to win six in a row like there's you know there's luck involved you're you know it's not boxing you know it's not one-on-one it's a team sport and you know from the talent around him to the coach um to, you know, how he was able to just be the best player in the game, you know, undoubtedly at the time to, you know, not being, you know, facing, you know, the 80, you know, having to match up against the 86, 87 Lakers or Celtics, 
you know, like, in, you know, to go, you know, to go to the finals or in the finals, it just sort of all, you know, it just all worked out. The comp, you know, the competition wasn't there. And like, that's part of what it takes to win six in a row. I think, I think it's a much more competitive league now. And that's not to say he wouldn't. I, I agree with dominate, that. Uh, but, you know. Yeah. But you know, at the same time, I mean, you, you know, you gotta, you know, he was the guy, he was that head and shoulders above everybody else. Or it's not even close, you know? So, um, totally, totally. You know, and he's the reason the game is now what it is. With you know, that's obviously so much better than it was, uh, or just, I shouldn't say better, just progression and evolution um, that he laid the foundation for. You know, um, yeah. I mean, just look at the talent from around the world, like and the size and speed and skill level of people is just off the charts now. You know, in a way that it just like everything else kind of evolves totally. uh, and the schemes and the complexity and that you can play zone defense and, um, yeah, well, let me, know, let me, yeah, you what, can't hand check, but like, you know, there's a, how, a different game now. It's how good, and, yeah. you know, and obviously they wouldn't have all the same personnel, but that sort of Jordan Pippen nucleus first three Pete or second three Pete team. How do you think they look in 2020? How do they match up? How, what's the competition like? So I think, you know, you still have Michael Jordan in his prime, so, and Scottie Pippen, and, you know, they're going to compete at a high level, but I, it, it's really, it'd be really hard in today's game to have, like, you know, a one-dimensional player like Rodman who can't shoot, right, or, you know, yes. a, a center like, you know, Bill Wennington who can set picks and hit a jump shot, but you're going to exploit a guy like that on the pick and roll or Bill Cartwright or, you know, um, even like a Horace Grant, like you, you just, all these guys now are so dynamic and spread the floor and get you out on a pick and roll. And it, 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 I think it'd be hard for some of those guys to stay on the floor. that can't, aren't multifaceted in the way today's game is played. Um, you know, it's hard to compare era. You know, I'd say the, the three point shot, right. I mean, they wouldn't even know what hit them with that, you know, be like, what is going, it's just a totally different thing. I mean, a three point shot was a rare thing at the time. And yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, you know, yeah. If they just rolled out some team, you know, the warriors or whoever, it really any half the teams and just were like, we're boom, we're snatching one team <laughs> out of time and another team out of time. And they just appear on a court and they play. I think the, those Bulls teams or any team from that area would see a team like the Warriors shoot 35 threes in a game and be like, what the fuck is that? What <laughs> like, just happened? It's, yeah, yeah what, it is so different. Plan, different. Yeah, yeah, you know, now could – it if they played today, would – you know, I'm sure Jordan would be a fucking assassin from the three-point line if he played today. You know what sure, I mean? For sure. Yeah. But, you know, just sort of snatching them out of time and the way the game has changed and, you know, it's like, you know, it's 25, 30 years have gone by or, you know, and it's just like, wow, it's so different. You know what I mean? It's but so you, different. But if you played them, you'd pack the paint and make them shoot from the outside and get the ball out of his hands. And like, well, you know, it's, 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 you play a zone basically and he's still going to dominate, but it's not the same as like, you know, you have to go man to man and in the old that, days. That's the other thing, though, I would say, though, in their day about the Bulls squads, especially the second one, is they were ahead of their time. They sort of had a small ball lineup. Like, they didn't have a yeah. guard. You know what I mean? They had, you know, like Pippen, 
Jordan, and Harper. Particularly when they so got Ku coach. You had so you had Jordan, Harper, and Pippen. You know, and all any three of those guys could bring up the ball. They all sort of played point guard, point forward, as they call it, in today's game. And they were such suffocating defenders. It was like they just blew those teams off the court, especially at first. And so they sort of had, again, going back to Phil and going back to Jerry Krause, and, you know, they had an innovative – they had a super innovative style in their day, you know what I mean, too. You know what I mean? They took advantage 100%. of what Michael Jordan did, you know, much so, much more so with the second team, you know, than with the first. But – and, and yeah, like, you know, again, they had one of the first – hot three-point shooting Euro prospects. You know what I mean? They had that too. You know what I mean? It wasn't like – 6'11". Yeah, 6'11". And that was that disappointed me in that game seven against the Pacers. Kukoc hit those three threes in, I think, the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, and they really kept him in the game. Like, they couldn't get any points, and I really wish they would have given him that due in the documentary because, like, I feel like that was his biggest moment in contribution. And I even think – if that I always remember thinking in that game five in Chicago in 98, if Jordan would have ran over and grabbed the ball, like they could have ran a play for Kukoc and he would have won the series right there. He'd done it before. He had like 30 yeah. points in that game. And I felt like that, that, that documentary totally could have really explored how dynamic and innovative and good Tony Kukoc was. Like they give him a little respect, but of course Jordan's got a shit on him too, you know, and it's just like. He had to shit know. on everybody. Like, yeah, exactly. that's true. What was Sorry, the lo- what was the low point of the film? Either something you discovered, or you'd say like the filmmaking, like where the filmmakers sort of failed. Well, I think the whole the whole pre you know pretext or the whole foundation of this thing was you know basically a Michael Jordan production, and he was gonna have the last word on everything. So that was a little okay. That's what you think about this, and that's what we're gonna hear about this. But that's what people want, I guess. I heard someone call uh, it a some, Ken Burns take on it. Like, you know, it's not really journalistic, but you're really only, you know, you're talking about basketball stories, um, you know, but, but I think the thing that was disappointing to me um, was just, you know, some of the footage of him treating people the way he did, you know, it's just like, who talks to people like that? Like, but really like, like this whole idea that he had to be this tyrant and asshole to, like if he hadn't done that, they wouldn't have won six titles to me is ridiculous. Like he would have won if he was a nicer teammate, you know, he could have pushed people in a different way. Um, but just some of that was, um, you know, I think just cause growing up and the image that he put out to the world and kind of still does, um, you know, this like, you know, I want to be like Mike and Space Jam and, you know, superhero and then to hear him like kind of call people bitches and hoes, you know, because they didn't come off a screen or whatever the way he yeah. wanted. It just seemed like, like, like really, you're that guy? Like, uh, and, seemed, and, and yeah. still that guy. Like, you know what I mean? Still That's that the thing. guy. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. Come on, man. Like, yeah. You know. Um, you know, and there's supposed to be that story about how you would call Kwame Brown like a faggot, you know, just yeah. like really did, you know, like he tormented this 18 year old kid. I mean, that wasn't in this. Yeah. It was uh, like a lot of like great Santini. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, and like not, that just does not play anymore. Yeah. And like, like, yeah, that doesn't play anymore, but like, really, you're going to talk to this kid like that? Like, I mean, yeah. 
like that's I don't know. I thought you, you know you try to inspire people. You know, no, you know, obviously they left out the whole wizard, wizards debacle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, where everyone hated him apparently, and it was a mess. Um, you know, everyone forgets that, but whatever. I mean, that was exciting when he came back again, but it was really, you know, it was, he was 40 years old, so it's yeah. a whole different game. It faded fast, that's for yeah. sure, Yeah, once he came back. Um, uh, so I think for me, you know, it's like whatever. I understand people are dicks, but, you know, he was like my childhood hero to kind of hear him talk to people like that um, for, for no reason. is just ridiculous. I get the intensity and you want to win and whatever, but, you know, you don't really – you know, he's always making comments about Jerry Krause under his breath and um, just, you know, and to even capture that on film, it just seemed like so petty and like, what an ass. Well, yeah, and especially like I felt like he just wouldn't, he, he, yeah, he didn't really, you know, he wasn't like saying, yeah, even, and I feel like it was so, to take those shots at Pippen in that documentary, no, not a lot of them. He gave Pippen a lot of praise, but about sitting out that play when he wasn't yeah. even on the team. One, why is it even in the movie? It's a Michael right. Jordan documentary. Like, why is it in the movie? Totally. And it's like, and, and, and to think that you don't understand why he did that, dude. You don't understand all the shit going through his head and how much value he's generating and how much the Bulls are just acting like, you're our slave, like, go play. We own your rights. You sign the contract, you know? It's like, dude, fuck off. Like, really, seriously? Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, he should have yep. done, he should have, Scott, he should have known better. You, you know, get the fuck out of here, dude. Like, you know, you, you, you know, like, live in someone else's shoes for two minutes. Well, they also you left out I mean? that the Bulls lost in seven games to the Knicks on a controversial call. Like, they almost should have won that series. Yeah, I mean, he came, I mean, they won that game, and he came back in the next game and totally dominated. So it really dominated, didn't even matter. Yeah. And they had that didn't even phantom foul on what's his name Hubert Davis. Yeah. And, uh, so that at the end of the day, again, that was something that was a big deal when it happened, but it it didn't amount to anything, and they had to like make it part of the story. Yeah. And it was just that disappointed me. And then the other moment from the film that was just sort of comedic is they you know they they're telling all these stories of these players, and they'd spend the ten minutes and tell Steve Kerr's story, which yep. is a great story. Again, I knew it, so it was yep. nice to hear it again, but you know, what did it exactly have to do with Michael Jordan, except at the end when they're like, did Michael Jordan ever ask you about this? Because the one thing, or one of the things Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan have in common is they both lost their fathers to, yep. you know, violent gun crime, violent death, you know, to terrorism, you know. And Kerr goes, no. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then they never go back to Jordan and say, did you ever talk to Steve Kerr about that? Did that ever occur to you? It's like, then why even include that in the movie, dude? Like, you know, it's like, it's not the Steve Kerr movie. And like, right. and then you kind of hint around the fact that, yeah, Jordan never even brought it up. Or maybe right. Jordan didn't even know about it. You exactly. Know? You know, six of one, half dozen of the other. Like, yeah. You know. He probably never spent any time. To, <laughs> uh, probably, you know, I think Kerr mentioned he, might, he did his own. I mean, obviously he lived in his own bubble, like Michael Jackson. And then there's everybody else. So that was like one moment in the film where I was like, oh man, you know, I wish they would have either explored it more or just left it out. Like, you know, Steve Kerr has done plenty in his own right. He doesn't need to like be the hanger on in the Michael Jordan story anymore. You know, Um, I loved his speech though in Grant Park after the finals when he hit the shot. It's a pretty funny anecdote when he's like, he's totally, totally. Yeah. He's, he's, I, I like Steve Kerr a lot. He's an impressive guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what an amazing, again, just such an amazing moment. 
such an awesome series, you know, the flu game, you know, whatever the silliness with the pizza and the whatever. And, and I oh, think some of that, from, that, it was like, yeah, some of that, I think again, like in 19, you know, in 1997, like the league was sort of that provincials. You could just go to the hotel and those players were staying there. Like they weren't all in private villas and, you know, and you could, yeah, you know, find out where Michael Jordan's room was. Like that actually happened now. Whatever happened with the pizza, like I don't know. Um, the other thing I would say that the level of Jordan's uh, goatness, for, for lack of a better word, or, or the, what the role, the outsized role he played in the zeitgeist, is not only did you know Jordan, but you knew the name of his trainer. It was the first athlete we were like, oh, Tim yep. Grover. You know what I mean? You yep. know Jordan's trainer. <laughs> and there was no oh, athlete before that where you were like, oh, I know who his trainer is, his personal trainer. You know, um, I yeah. will. Is there one? This is a big question. So if you want to think about it for a little while, we can come back to it. But what is, is there one badass moment about Michael Jordan that you remember that's like, Oof. this just says, it's like, this is what a badass Michael Jordan was, or, you know, whatever. And I have one that I thought about. So, um, but I'd have to think about that. Uh, there's too many. Let me uh, let me throw this anecdote out because you know yeah. there's all kinds of stories, and there's certainly. Started. And I wasn't thinking about it like the night he scored 50 on the court, but that's certainly that certainly uh, could be the you know could be a, a great response. But I I remember in '95 when they lost to the Magic and, and he yep. came back. And I remember that off season, Spike Lee was on Charlie Rose for some random, you know, movie or whatever. And, you know, at the end there, they, Rose brings up Jordan. He's like, Oh, what did you think? They lost, you know, Jordan looked human, whatever. And, and Spike Lee without missing a beat looks at Charlie Rose and he's like, you know, remember, you know, the steal when Nick Anderson game one or game two comes and just steals the ball from Jordan and makes him look terrible. And Rose is like, yeah. And Spike Lee was like, that just got Michael Jordan mad. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, that just pissed him off. Like, that wasn't, you know, a sign that he's lost it. Like, that just pissed him off. And it was like, and damn, low. I remember that. I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, I remember seeing that. And then, man, they just came out the next season and annihilated the league. And he was just back better than ever. And it was like, that's just like, that was just what the dude was just such a badass. And, like, delivered on that thing of just keeping upping the ante, you know, of, like, the next – you know, the first three rings and then the comeback, you know what I mean? Whatever, like there was ever any doubt. Um, and, and then, you know, the next three rings and it was just like, Jesus Christ, you know, but I'll always remember that story. I just thought it was a great, you know, Michael Jordan anecdote. Yeah. I, the, the thing in the, in the docuseries that I thought was incredible was when in his rookie year and he's doing the voiceover and he's like, you know, I knew I had to earn my stripes, and I did so in game three against Milwaukee, and I had like 50 points and in every shot down the stretch. And they were like, one one week they knew he was the best player in the team. And, and they interviewed him at the time, and the, someone's like, how's the transition going to the league? And he's like, well, and he gives a big smile. He goes, it's easy. <laughs> you know, and like just dominated the league from day one. Uh, like, you know, very few, if any, have ever had. I think he averaged 28 a game and just took the league by storm. And yeah. like people knew it, Bobby Knight knew it in the Olympics. Like he said, he said at the time he's the greatest player Bobby Knight had ever seen. Yeah. Um, I, I, 
There was yeah. never anyone he just, before he that. He was just more athletic and, and just faster and quicker than everybody else by like a mile. Well, no one had ever played the Jump game. Higher. You know, yeah. before Jordan, if you led the league in scoring, you were kind of a, a ball hog and your team didn't win. Like that was the conventional wisdom. Like you couldn't be the best player and be the best scorer. It was like, like a, a George Gervin. Like a Gervin type yeah. or like even, you know, like Chamberlain had insane stats, but, you know, didn't yeah. have a ton of rings or, you know. And Jordan was the first guy that was like, I'm so talented that I can. I, I am the best player and I do score the most points. But he wasn't – I mean, whatever. You could say he took a lot of shots, but he didn't shoot poorly. So it was like, what's the difference? You, yeah. you shoot 50% and then I'll stop and I'll shoot less. And I think, you know, that – had never happened and of course you know you know again you can you can debate like well is it the most important stat but like 10 scoring titles is unbelievable you know it's just unbelievable you know and you know and and you know to basically to you know win the title in the last six of those scoring titles you know is is incredible and no one had ever you know done that before and and ever and then since then it's just like everyone's trying to emulate that thing of like, you're the guy, you have the ball in your hands at the end of the game and you're going to win the game. Like before Jordan, it wasn't like that. It was like, can this team win? You know what I mean? You know, like I remember when magic hit that shot, uh, you know, that jump hook against the Celtics and it was kind of like, Oh, so magic took, ended up taking the shot. Like it wasn't like this thing of like, give me the ball and get the fuck out of the way. You know, it was this team game and these teams that won dominated because they, had unbelievable teams with elite players at the top. Jordan was the first one that was like, no, you can just give me the ball and I'll take every shot down the stretch. And since then there's been, you know, the, you know, the emulation of that game and the players that have dominated are like, can they do that? You know what I mean? You know, can yeah. they do that? It's not, you know, um, and well, I, I think th- generally with Michael Jordan, I mean, the way he played was so mesmerizing, but that style of play of, you know, you're going to take 30 shots a game. The, the you know, uh, I mean, poor man's versions are like, you know, Allen Iverson or uh, Kobe or, uh, you know, these high volume shooters. I mean, granted, Jordan was efficient. Those guys weren't as much. Um, Carmelo's another. Which is example. a huge difference, I think. Which is huge difference. I mean, Michael Jordan's way better than these guys on another level, but like that style of play. I, I never, you know, I played a lot of ball growing up. It's just, doesn't resonate with me it's not um it's not a fun way to play it's not the best way to win I think in a lot of ways I mean you have to have and I think that's where the triangle came in right I thought they explained that well in the docuseries you know kind of came in and it set up established everyone's roles and where they needed to be and he could still lead the league in scoring but the whole team is involved um, definitely definitely the ball like um you know, that's an underrated piece of how Michael Jordan yeah. won all those titles as well. The Tex winner triangle scheme. Yeah, uh, the, like pre three point shot. That was like the most dynamic. Oh yeah. Scheme in basketball. It was like, you couldn't, it was like, it was, that's why Phil was the Zen master. It was just like, they just, master. you know, yeah. it just, it totally, it was, it was, it was a strategic way to play. And it was a, strategic way to you know and it was an innovative way to think about the game and like all those things and it couldn't be you know and it and it you know could be duplicated with different players now certainly having a player that could just dominate whether it was like Jordan or even Shaq in LA like makes all the difference when it comes to to winning rings but you know to get 
these guys who could be high volume players, like to get them to buy into a system that would, like you said, like get the whole team involved and allow them to thrive, you know, doing what they do best was just, you know, it's why the guy has 11 rings and is, you know, it's kind of, you know, should be, you know, has had a bad run, I think in the last six, eight years, but is really like the greatest coach ever to play. Yeah. And and I think, you know, since and Jordan touched on this. Sorry to interrupt. And, yeah, and, no, no. You know, I remember they talked a lot more about this stuff when he was the coach of the Lakers and Kobe and Shaq and all that and the Zen Buddhism. He wrote his books. But, like, and Jordan talked about this, and Jordan was definitely the master of, of, of being in the present, right? That concept is so underrated. Yeah. Like, never looking back, never looking forward, being in the moment, being in the present. You hear LeBron talk like this a lot. Um, and that sense of calm and um, understanding the moment and, uh, you know, all of that stuff is just, you know, it's, a lot of it sounds cliche, but it's really true. And you could see, you know, where he picked that up from Phil Jackson and I think really helped him develop and perform, maintain that performance level of excellence in the same way Kobe and those other guys, you know, it's just that presence, that influence, that philosophy that you're not going to get from any other coach in any other sport that I can ever think of. Totally. totally. Uh, I thought that came through in the docuseries as well. It was really good. And Um, yeah. And just how it fits in with sort of the unique aspects of basketball is, you know, sort of the small team, everyone is plays both positions. It's a very, you know, it's a game in constant motion, you know, um, and yeah, they elevated to an art form, and you know he was like the principal artist for sure. It didn't exist Definitely. at that level, and now it exists at that level. And there's, you know, analytics now, and now, everything else. Well, and I think there's like ten guys in the league that are like they're just fucking artists now. You know, it's like yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Whereas, like, you wouldn't say that about anybody until there was Jordan. You know, but it so, makes sense. It's like he showed them the way. Like he showed them the way, and guys picked up on it, and you know, and around the globe. Yeah, you know, and it was, you know, the other thing, it was, it it was weird to me and, you know, definitely want to talk about this and maybe this is a way to kick it off. But I also sort of looked at it through the lens of, you know, the player that they talk about the most today and what he's done and how he plays. And it's like, I just think to some extent, I looked at LeBron and he looked at the way Jordan was treated and even as good as he was, how relatively little amount of money he made in his career for one. Um, and two, how even he did not really have the power to say, this is how it's going to go on this team. And Jordan, I mean, and LeBron has made decisions based on that. Like, I, I think, you know, you know, I, I thought that was something, you know, Jordan would never admit, but he's, you know, I mean, and he's an owner now, so it's not about, you know, saying the size of how much money he has, but like, you know, he had to sit there and put up with that shit from Krause and Reinsdorf and he played in today's game. They, there'd be no, they'd yep. be begging him. Like the idea of a team breaking up a championship team you know, that it was just, it's just inconceivable now. And, yep. and, you know, but I think sort of, you know, like watching that documentary and you see the kind of the bullshit, even Michael Jordan had to put up with like, you know, I feel like LeBron's like, yeah, like Jordan had to put up with that shit. Like I gotta, you know, I don't want to have to put up with, you know, what can I do to not have to do that shit? You know, that kind of thing. And I think it spoke well of Jordan that he was able to kind of even with those constraints dominate the way he dominates and it speaks well of LeBron that like he's like I'm gonna do it this way because like you know I want more power than that I don't want to be in that situation you know like the idea that Jordan couldn't go 
to, I mean, I mean, I'm certainly, you know, I'm old enough to know, understand the mystique of playing your whole career with one team. You know what I mean? But the fact that he couldn't be like, I'm fucking leaving, you know what I mean? I'm going somewhere else like, or whatever is, or he would have been, I mean, he would have been, even Jordan, I think would have been vilified in 1996 or seven, if he would have said that, you know, yeah. guys today are just like, whatever, man, like, you know, it's about me. It's not about the team that, you know, once I go, you know, it's like you get to own all the memories, you know, and I am, you know, you're not paying me anything anymore, you know, and it speaks well of Jordan or LeBron, you know, to see that in today's game and react to it in a way and whatever. And I'm not disparaging guys who play their whole career with one team. Like that's awesome too. You know what I mean? The money is so astronomical now that, you know, I wonder if it even makes a difference, you know, but in, you know, not just the money, but whatever the experience, the, different challenges like the all that stuff you know what I mean like it seems like Jordan needed to do a lot of extreme stuff to motivate himself making up stories yeah you know when like no one ever looks good on TV when you do an interview in sunglasses and you're like I don't have a gambling problem it's not like I you know lost my house or my car it's like man I don't know you might have a you (laughs) you might not have gambled enough money to lose your house in your car but you might have a bit of a you know issue with gambling and, you know, but whatever, he was an extreme dude. And I think, yeah, LeBron's made a lot of extreme decisions and like he's had to do these things to sort of like keep his competitive juices flowing and that's what you need to do. Um, and, you know. I, I just think it's at some level though too, it's just hard to compare. I mean, in the 80s and 90s, it's just a completely different structure of the league. Like there was no, totally. you know, I, I mean, I want to say and I'd have to look back at it, but the biggest shocking free agent move the 90s was Shaq in 96 but in the 80s and 90s I mean there were trades but I you know Barkley went to the Suns all of that but there was never this it just wasn't heard of to kind of I think the probably the the single biggest free agent move of the 80s I could be wrong but I would say Moses Malone to the Sixers yeah that was like they won a title the next year it was like a huge thing but yeah. In terms of impact, you know, and that kind of thing. I mean, the, you know, yeah, there were, like you said, there were some trades and whatever, but yeah, just, it wasn't that mentality, that mindset. Yeah, and you played with your team and I think because the NBA was more provincial, right? You had more of a connection to that city, you know, yeah. it was less global kind of thing. Um, it just was unheard of to do that, to go leave, you know, especially when you have a GM and a coach in the perfect situation, like, why would you leave? Right. Totally. Totally. You know, you, you grant Pippen made the move for Cartwright, you know, got the pieces, got the coach and made it work. But if that doesn't happen, then you, you need to go somewhere else. Totally. totally. If the organization's not going to do it, you know, like, you think about what LeBron had in Cleveland those first seven years or whatever. It's unbelievable. I remember thinking in 2005, whatever it was, when when basically that whole situation blew up with the Lakers and Phil left. And I know he had to get hip surgery too. But yep. if I'm Dan Gilbert, I'm like flying to Phil Jackson's house and I'm like, come coach LeBron. Yep. You know what I mean? Like how much is it going to take? Like what do we need to do? And I think some of it is – it's not that they didn't have the money, but it was, it's that provincial mindset. Like I just didn't think owners thought like that. Like they're like, nah, you know, whatever, how much more money can I make? And you know, whatever. And it wasn't that idea that your team was a, you know, was a brand and the, the, you know, the value of the franchises was so much lower, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like, 
you know, you had a few owners that were really good at it and spent because they could make a lot of money and they loved it. Like Jerry Buss loved it. You know what I mean? That kind of yep. thing. Um, but they weren't all billionaires like they are now. It's, you know, it's not that thing. But if, you know, if, uh, if uh, you know, if that was going today and a guy that just won, um, you know, just had won six titles with Michael Jordan and, and three titles with Shaq and Kobe was on the market. You know what I mean? Like the, the billionaire, Steve Ballmer would, you know, buy the guy a jet just to t- take a meeting. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, you know, I'll bet I, you he wouldn't have gone, though. I don't think – I couldn't see Phil going to Cleveland for anything at that stage. I don't know, to coach LeBron, though? Maybe, I don't know. You know, in 2005? Uh, in L.A. Know? he would, but not in Cleveland. But may, maybe so, maybe so, but I just – I feel like I that don't know, would, but I, that's my hunch. It, totally, and it, it, again, it just I just remember having that thought because it's like you do, you just – again, that, to me it's like, you know um, – you look at those two guys and, you know, if, if, if LeBron comes into a situation where, you know, his teammate is Scottie Pippen, his coach is Phil Jackson, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's just like, totally. he doesn't that like what it's inconceivable. LeBron doesn't win six in a row. Like Michael Jordan had the, the that much magic that, it, you know, whatever. And I just think I felt like that was illustrated to me again and again in the documentary. And I say that taking nothing away from Jordan's greatness. Um, yeah, but it's just yeah, it's the situation is unbelievable, and then look at how shitty LeBron's situation was at Cleveland, and with what he was able to do. I mean, just look at that franchise. Every time he's before he got there, to after he got there, and then after he left, what's happened to that team and franchise every time? Like, yeah, absolutely, it, it, it just implodes. <laughs> So you might as well abolish the franchise otherwise. Um, but so, yeah. so to, so to, so to, to tee it off in the, in the, in the million dollar question. Yeah. The goat, the goat question watching this documentary, <laughs> where are you? Did it, did it change your opinion on the goat discussion? Did it add anything into it? Or I'll even start out like, what do you make of the first? What do you make of the question? And if you had to say right now, this person is the goat, like <laughs> who would you say? And like, how would you feel about saying it? So truthfully, my honest opinion is that I think it's a ridiculous argument. Uh, I'll still do it because, you know, it's fun to talk about. But I think the whole thing is ridiculous. I I mean, I remember this was never a conversation at any time until like Michael Jordan was so good. He created this conversation for everyone to follow. Uh, (laughs) But when he played, you know, there was never I mean, everyone's acknowledged he was the best player in the league. But there was no, he's the greatest of all time. And even he said, like, that's ridiculous. Like, I got my stuff from, you know, I was inspired by guys before me. There are a lot of great players. That's kind of for you to say if you want, but whatever. Like, it's meaningless. Um, I also think it does a disservice to appreciating both guys, or especially LeBron, because LeBron is only going to take the hit because Michael Jordan is so revered. Uh, to just appre- it takes away, I think, from people appreciating how ridiculous he is um, on every level. Like, never seen anything like the guy. Uh, plus, their games are so different that um, it's hard to compare on that level. Um, so, so I don't like the I don't like the the discussion. Uh, I think it's it's really kind of a silly comparison. I think you have to throw Kareem in this discussion. I think Kareem, you can make the argument for all three guys being the greatest of all time. 
Um, I, I'd probably have to say at the end of the day, it's Jordan and with a LeBron as like a 1A, and they're both on Mount Rushmore. But the film didn't change that for me at all. Like, there was nothing I learned from that film about Michael Jordan. But I, I got to say, though, you know, it also depends on what metric you're looking at. Because if you're looking at duration of career and all around skill and game, you know, you got to pick LeBron. Um, if you're going for like peak performance and like revolutionize the game and like can't touch the numbers and the six and zero in the finals, then yeah, you got to go with Jordan. Um, but I also think the finals argument is silly as well. Uh, hard to make. I, I hate that. Oh, he was six and zero in the finals. Well, you know, LeBron got to the finals as a twenty-two-year-old who beat the defending champion Pistons. Um, you know, you could argue he got through his nemesis before Jordan ever could by himself. Um, so you know, that's kind of what I think about it overall. But it's it's a bit of a cop out, I know, because it's you know just saying like it's a ridiculous question, but. I would say at the end of the day, I would go Jordan 1 and LeBron 1A, both on Mount Rushmore. And, you know, the best two guard of all time and the best small forward of all time, clearly. I would, uh, I would and say – And the centers are a different argument, but, you know, Kareem <laughs> as well is in there. I, I would say – and this is going to sound super obnoxious – that it's an awesome question, <laughs> but the way yeah. everyone talks about it is stupid. So pretty much the same thing you just said. It's yeah. like – it's yeah. like, listen, there's nothing, yeah, and, and to start off with talking about the film, yeah, sadly, there's nothing in this film that I learned that added anything to the discussion, really. Like, I knew all this before. Um, and, and there's nothing that you can say, oh, I'm going to detract this from Michael Jordan. The only thing I would yeah. say, I guess, and is that, and like I said, it was the thing I said earlier, was the one thing that I got from the film is, I think before I watched the film, I don't think I really truly took into consideration all the luck involved of the right people and the right time and teammates and yeah. organization and all that stuff. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, that really is, uh, that really is, you know, I think that even, you know, leads me to the other part of the discussion. It, 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 it you know, it, 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 it moved LeBron up in my opinion, because it's like, you look at all these factors and you're just like, you know, and I, and I thought the perfect moment for that was like in Jordan's sixth season when they lose that game seven to Detroit without Pippen. It's like, yeah, welcome to LeBron's world. You know what I mean? Welcome to game yeah. seven against the Celtics in 2008. You know what I mean? Like, that's what happens yeah. when you don't have Scottie Pippen on the team. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I no, think, I, I agree I think with if, all of that. Uh, I think if LeBron would have like tragically died in a plane crash at like 24 and a half years old, people would might be like, he's the goat. You just had to see yeah. it. Like, he, you know, like what he did <laughs> in, at, in four years was unfucking believable with all that. Ex first of all, with all that expectation, I mean, you're watching this guy in high school, you know what I mean? He's the first pick in his hometown you tune in to watch him in his first game and you're just like, damn, he's a man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and in year three, he loses a game seven to Detroit where, you know, he has like 40 points or something like that. I think in the second round. Right. I would say though that Dwayne Wade was on his level at that time. 
Well, let's get close. to Wade. Hold on. We'll, let's, we'll, yeah, let's get to yeah. Wade for sure. Let, let's but yes, I agree with everything yeah. you're saying. So, and what he did, like, the thing for me, the moment for me with LeBron was that year four Detroit series where he scores the 49 and the 25 straight. And I literally yeah. was sitting there watching it saying, this is exactly like Michael Jordan in the 63, except LeBron's going to win the game and win the series. You know what I mean? It was like, holy yeah, right. fucking shit. I never thought I'd say this about another player. You know what yeah. I mean? Okay. And, you know, but it certainly, you know, LeBron suffered some setbacks and, you know, I think LeBron has well, then kind they of had it. Well, swept by the Spurs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well. Didn't yeah. play well, but just to just to take a team there, just to take that team of scrubs, pull them to the finals totally. at twenty-two. You know what I mean? Is unbelievable. You know, against yeah, that against kind one of competition, all-time great Spurs teams. You know, yeah, totally. And a, you know, and a defending champion Piston team in, in defending in, champion Spurs. Yeah, or sorry, not a not a defending champion, but a but a but a I mean, team with a ring. Previous champion, yeah. right? Um. So it was, it was really fucking incredible. And it was the first time that it was like, wait a minute, there might be a new sheriff in town. Like up until then, there yep. wasn't even a debate. Shaq, Kobe, whatever. You never thought that ever. I think you know people I mean? like to have the Kobe argument. Oh, let's not LA even. I'm not, gonna, yeah. I'm not going to rag on. I don't want to rag on Kobe in the year of his rest demise. Peace, very, Kobe, yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, Kobe. You're not in this conversation. You're not in this conversation. And let's stay true to that yeah. by not having him in the conversation. but so but we are going to talk about Dwayne Wade you know yeah but but yeah it was just like oh my god there's someone in this conversation now and I would say the same way like say their talent is equal their talent is off the charts and they when they played both of those guys were the most talented guy in the league um and and you know we're gonna take any group of guys deep into the playoffs and maybe to the finals you know I feel like LeBron suffered. He was like the other way. He had bad luck at every turn. He had shitty squads yep. that really couldn't get over the hump in Cleveland. He goes to Miami. Definitely that first year, I think he kind of leaves it on the table in that Dallas series. It's like really the one kind of thing I'd say, well, he didn't get that done. But I, I feel like he just the, hit a wall yeah, in that series. Yeah. And, and the what they did to the. And all that. Yeah. And what they did to the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals was so oh, impressive. You know yeah. what I mean? That it was just like uh, and, and the Celtics but, in the semis. Yeah, totally. But yeah. but I think that the but that was you know but he caught a bad break because Dave, Dwayne Wade was never the same after that season. You know what I nope. mean? And yep. they never had the deep roster that like those Bulls teams had that Michael Jordan sort of benefited from. So even kind of caught some bad breaks in in Miami you know what I mean yeah totally they still won two out of four and went to you know and went to four straight you know what I mean so if you can consider two and you know two finals in four years and four finals in a row a failure I guess it's a failure but so but I feel like LeBron didn't get those breaks and Jordan sort of caught every break and you know like you know say it again and again like you know luck is the residue of good design and he earned every break but it's you know some of that shit's just out of your control it's a team game you know part of the goat discussion is it doesn't but you know you're not going to play one-on-one you're going to play five on five so you need five dudes like being the goat it's not boxing you know what I mean it's not tennis um you know Michael Jordan you know and you know he's not going to play somebody one-on-one to decide who the goat is you know what I mean and like and the other thing with the documentary is just how so much of it is like 
the storytelling, about the focus and the steely nerve and the this yep. and the that. Like the reason he could do all that shit was because he practiced harder than anybody. You know what I mean? And he had more sort of innate natural ability than anybody, you know, some God, God-given gifts. And he was the savviest and smartest player on the floor. Like those three things. It's like, you know, it's not like, you know, he, was, he had this aura that he could do whatever. He was just better at it because he, you know, he practiced like a maniac and he worked his ass off and, you know, he was a brilliant basketball player. Like that contributed a lot more to the, you know, I, and I, the one thing I saw, it was like, you know, so in game, it's like, you know, they lose the first two games. I saw someone writing about this to the Knicks in 93, and then they go back to home to Chicago in game three in a must-win game. And Jordan goes like three for 18. And yep. he got like 15 from the line. I mean, but they won handily because that. he had an awesome team. Any game where LeBron goes three for 18, they're not – his team isn't winning. You know what I mean? Nope. He's not turning it over. You're right. You know, now maybe if Wade would have stayed healthy um, – that that would have been a different story, but that's not what happened. You know what I mean? And like, you know, and there's other guys he played with, I mean, they were good, but they were, they weren't at that level. No, the idea that that was a super team. Yes, it was in theory when it started, but it was clear that, you know, it was LeBron's team. Wade was, Wade's my favorite player. Um, and it was clear he was not the same guy. I mean, some nights, yes, but some nights, no, for yeah. sure, including in the playoffs. But uh, that knee was getting drained, and then you know, Bosch really wasn't a huge offensive weapon. He was good, I think, 18 points a game or something like that, 10 boards, you know, but he yeah. wasn't like a dominant force. And, and it just, then, the you know, when they brought on all that shooting, it really helped open up the floor. And LeBron was just insanely efficient on, and incredible on both ends. Um, but, you know, then they faced that Spurs team in 2014 with a vengeance that, you know, they wanted revenge. And that was a team – I don't think anybody could have beaten that team ever. They played so well. Yeah, oh, that, oh, yeah. I mean, it was just like a basketball exhibition and a three-point shooting exhibition in the finals that really – Oh, Danny Green was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but, get, go, you know, going back to Dwayne Wade for a second, I think the thing to me for him is – what he did in 2005, but 2006, but 2005 too, was the closest thing to a Michael Jordan impersonation ever. You know what I mean? That oh, finals, yeah. it was just 100%. like, that was the second, that mid-range jump shot, the way he was knocking that down. And I mean, this was it. Like, this was like, you know, it, this was just, and doing it in the finals, you know, yep. finals MVP, it was just like, Oh, unbelievable. And then he was dominant year after year after that until he got – well, and actually, no, he got hurt the next year after they won. He hurt his shoulder, I think. And then when he came back, um, he was dominant again. And then the year before LeBron came, Wade was off the – you know, he might have had the best year – one of the best years of all time. I think he got snubbed out of the MVP. He might have. Yeah, he might have. Yeah. He definitely might have. He definitely might have. Yeah. I, mean, I think, know. yeah, he, I mean, uh, a lot of people compare Kobe. Obviously, they're stylistically look the same, but Wade, yeah, definitely a yeah. lot of compare mid range body style, the way he went to the hoop. Yeah. Like, is there uh, any question sure. if Wade played with Shaq for, you know, all that time? Like, he wouldn't have three rings, too. You know what I mean? Oh, it's totally, just like, yeah. And same thing with LeBron. I just think that, you know, that, you know, you know, Shaq had his moment, and when he did, he was the most dominant player. And, oh, my God. You know, like, I dominant. think you could interchange, you know, now not that's not to say Kobe didn't play a big role in those championships, too, but I think the, the, he, the, that role was the interchangeable role, not Shaq, you know. And so, oh, yeah. 
you know, I think if, you know. I mean, I think Shaq would have won if he had stayed in Orlando with Penny Hardaway. Yeah, that too. I mean, that too. Yeah, um, yeah excellent point. Excellent point. For um, sure, with that team. I mean, yeah. even though they got smoked by the Bulls. Uh, yeah, I mean, he yeah. was young at the time. He was yeah. only three years into the league or something, four years into the league. Yeah, I think he, uh, took, the, he took that Orlando team in their third year to the yeah. finals. You know, so it's, you know, so, I mean, that, again, that's that kind of that, that goes back to that luck thing, but just on kind of pure individual dominance in a huge finals moment with the same kind of style, that insane body control and being able to just, to like, you know, just, just go at a guy, step back and like kind of take that mid range jump shot and bam, just have it go down to like have it going to the hoop, being able to get, you know, go to the line or make some incredible shot. It was just like, this is the second coming, you know, it was unbelievable. But, I mean, also after they won that title, like, boom, Shaq was gone. They had, you know, they totally had to revamp the team. All those old veterans were kind of done. So there was really not a lot there. Yeah. I think, you know, definitely suffered from less talent than, you know, you know, the same way that the Lakers, you know, again, the Lakers were floundering until they added Paul Gasol. Like, what does Kobe's legacy look like if the Lakers aren't, weren't gifted Paul Gasol, you know? It's like, you know, and that's, totally. and, and I think this movie kind of said to me, that's why this is a little dumb because it wasn't, that's not something Kobe controlled. Jordan didn't control them trading. You didn't go in and say trade for Scottie Pippen, you know, like I'd be like, damn, that'd make him the goat, you know, but it just, totally. you know, that stuff worked out and, you know, like kind of all these decisions and, you know. I, I, mean, I also think too, I mean, you touched on this, the sort of team game aspect of this and like, there's just so many things dynamics and it go on and a team and team environment and yeah there's a star player but everyone's roles and how they perform and it's just so overlooked in all these team sports conversations where these stars get all the credit and glory and um, you know there's real things that go on that contribute to winning a game that isn't like Michael Jordan hitting a bunch of shots down the stretch that just gets so overlooked in the team dynamic and the way they play team defense and, you know, understanding your role and, and, you know, making the shot when you get the pass thrown to you and, you know, being in the right spot when you rotate on defense and, you know, all of those things that people do and, um, you know, or the, at the same time, like those guys, you know, it's interesting. They only interviewed like Paxson and, and Kerr and Scott Burrell. And, you know, nobody, I was reading that like Luke Longley fucking hates Michael Jordan. <laughs> he hasn't left like yeah. Western Australia <laughs> since he retired. <laughs> totally. He won't even talk about it. You know, like, you know, they, Horace yeah. Brand is like pissed off, you know, like. Yeah, that was such a bad look in that documentary to blame Coors Grant for that Sam Smith stuff. Like, that dude, you know, like he was yeah. around the team all the time What you don't think people were talking, you know? It's like, come on, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so I mean, just all these things, like Horace Grant, when they drafted Grant and Pippen, I remember Grant's development, and just all these things that go on in a team dynamic just gets so overlooked in these conversations about who's the GOAT. And, you know, and it's, that's why it makes the conversation – like almost impossible because of who the, who's on the team and who they drafted and how they mesh together and all of those things. So, but I mean, I know that's not. Well, fun I, I also think there's, I also think there's part of the discussion that's just natural. And the one thing that Jordan did and the one thing that LeBron's been able to do is make it about more than basketball, you know, make it about this sort of 
story about the guy and how good they are and in the moments they create for themselves and what they do yeah. in those moments. And it's just like, you know, I mean, there's certainly luck that goes into that too, but you know, it's just that I think they've been able to do that in a unique way. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And in a basketball way, like I said, there was no, there was no, there was not even any, there was no one who came into the league where it was even like, is this even a question until LeBron in his fourth season, you know, against Detroit. And then you're like, wait a minute there, you know, we might need to talk about this. And there hasn't been anybody else since then, you know, like you maybe thought Wade could get there. You definitely kind of feel like Durant is nosing around in that conversation, you know, that kind of thing, but they haven't gotten there. You know what I mean? They haven't gotten there, I think. And that's not to take anything away from how amazing all these dudes are. And like in a different situation, it could be them, you know what I mean? And, you know, it is luck. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at least glad all these guys have gotten the point. And I think LeBron has had a role in this. The business of basketball is they all do better now. You know what I mean? They all do better. You know what I mean? Like if, if Scotty Pippen played in today's league, he'd just have a guaranteed five-year, $150 million contract after his fourth season, like Ben Simmons. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be a right. – that dynamic yep. wouldn't play into it. And then I also wonder – if Scottie Pippen was making that much money, it was Michael Jordan going to be able to bully him like he did. You know what I mean? When, right. you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's just a whole other thing. And it's like, you know, I think in 1987, it's a lot easier to go out there and be the great Santini than it is in 2020. Like maybe we've matured a little emotionally, you know what I mean? And that's a good thing. Well, yeah. And the finances too, didn't give players as much leverage for two, right? I mean, they just yeah. wasn't, the NBA didn't generate that much as much revenue. Like it just wasn't, like you said, provincial and like, you know, when he's like Magic Johnson and like, well, I think it was his rookie year or a few years in got like a 25 year, $25 million yeah. contract or something <laughs> ridiculous, you know, like make a Laker for life. Uh, and that was like unheard of and astronomical. And so just where it's come to now with the freedom financially, if you're making, you know, but, these sums are just obscene. Um, when, when it comes to the, but when it comes to the game, you know, and the, and their play on the court, I, yeah, in, in dissecting it that way, I saw this quote from Jason Williams, white chocolate, Miami heat champion, Jason. That's Williams. right. Miami heat champion, Jason Williams. Um, but so he, this was his quote. But I get, I get asked all the time who the GOAT is to me when it comes down to MJ, Kobe, and LeBron. I'm going to let you all know right now that in my humble opinion, King James is the GOAT. Before I, get into, yep. before I get into it, let me make it clear. There was never a batter human being to step, on a bas- to step foot on a basketball court than Michael Jordan. His intensity and competitive fire in six rings speaks for itself. Baddest dude ever to lace him up, period. As for Kobe, the dude was for real a genius, a savant. He studied and dissected the game like a surgeon, then worked harder than anybody else. The blood, sweat, and tears were sacred to Brian, to Bean. He just wanted it, to, he just wanted it more than anybody else. But, but when it comes to Braun, all I got to say is if we're talking purely basketball, he is the GOAT. Bro could lead the league in five statistical categories if he wanted to, and MJ just couldn't have done that. Bron got the perfect body, IQ, raw ability for the game of basketball, and that's just a fact. Unstoppable. If you're building a basketball player, you're going to build LeBron's body, mind, skill set every time over anyone else who's ever played the game. Everyone's going to talk about who has the most, most rings, and I understand that. The game, and I understand that the game 
is about winning. But to me, LeBron James is the best basketball player of all time. And I thought that said it very well. Like, I, I kind of agree with that. I, I yeah. like LeBron a lot. I, you know, I'm obviously I'm a huge fan. I was never as big of a Jordan fan, but I certainly rooted for Jordan, you know, you know, rapaciously, I would say, you know, and I, he never gave me a bad moment and whatever, but it's like, yeah, why not? It's a stupid question and a dumb conversation. And I love LeBron and, you know, it's like, I just think, you know, the, 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 the fact to me that he, the ability for him to have all that pressure coming into the, coming into it, you know what I mean? All that expectation, yep. basically, not pressure, because I guess he could tell you if he felt pressure, but all those expectations, and then to exceed those expectations is really amazing. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, really amazing. And I think totally. that, you know, and, and it's really incredible the way he's sort of handled his career, and for better or worse, the excitement it has generated in the basketball that he plays is incredible. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. incredible. Like I, you know, maybe it wasn't for a ring, but that game six on the road in Boston in 2012 was like one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Like that game against Detroit um, in. Oh, there's too many. 2000, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it, there's well, just too many yeah. huge moments. There's too many championship moments. Like, I mean, I feel like, you know, that whole thing, you know, with Golden State, like they literally had to load their team in order to beat it. Uh, to beat LeBron, um, I think. If, I mean, I agree with Jason Williams and what he said for sure. I mean, this guy is magic. He's like a he's like a Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen hybrid, is what he is, yeah. right? Or Magic Jordan hybrid, right? Um, you know, to be six eight, six nine, that body, that athletic ability to be able to handle the ball and pass first, and team player, and yeah, and he's gonna be the all time leading scorer in the history of the NBA. Unbelievable. It, it, but I think if you if you're gonna have this argument, you got to break down the statistics, right, and the analytics to some degree. Um, because I agree, the six and zero championships. Um. I don't agree with that argument. Well, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the counter to the six and zero is just the longevity factor. You know, what totally. I mean? yeah, I'm not yeah. worried about that at all. Yeah. I think that's ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I don't think Michael Jordan beats the Warriors in the last few years at all. Um, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But but I think if you go to the statistics, uh, I you know, uh, Jordan's statistics trump LeBron's at the end of the day. You think so? Round. You think so? They do, yeah. You think because of the scoring I mean, title? Obviously, not long, not longevity. No, no, I got you. But is it the scoring title? Like, what puts it over the top? The scoring title? Well, I mean, or... his first team all defense, I think nine or 10 seasons or more, uh, his entire career. He was a defensive player of the year. Uh, LeBron is, you know, he's a great defensive player, never won that award, and about half the number of uh, all defensive teams. So there's that. Uh, higher scoring average, um, and then you know, still five, six assists a game. Yeah, and yeah, LeBron, I think, is a smidge over in rebounds and a few more assists per game career wise. So, you know, if you're looking at, and then I'd say if you move to the other elements, you know, and clearly LeBron, you know, if you're looking at all the skill sets, the one liability LeBron has is his free throw shooting. 
Yeah. Depending yeah. on liability. Yeah. I mean, Michael Jordan was automatic from the foul line. I mean, 85% yeah. in every one. LeBron struggles in that area. Yeah, that's legit. Um, yeah, it's legit. Career for sure. 70%. So if you look at it that way, and then you look at the scoring numbers and the, you know, the even the percentages, Jordan shot a high percentage. Um, you know, it, I, I think you got to give the edge to Jordan in that sense. If you're looking strictly at the numbers and like both sides of the ball. So what about it's hard all, to make that argument? All time starting five. And a six man. Who would you? How would you construct this squad for you? So I think my all-time starting five would have to be. And you don't have to pick a center if you don't want to. You can go by modern NBA rule. <laughs> no, I'm just sort of. Or you could pick well, I, four I think, centers. I actually think it's fairly easy for me to do that. It's Magic and Jordan, LeBron. Duncan and Kareem, if you're just picking the best five, one at each position, in my view. I would say, okay, I would say to me, and what about a six man? Who's coming in, you know, who are you bringing in off the bench? I think, you know, just if, I, if I'm going by just who's the best player or who I would want, it would be Steph Curry. Steph Curry. I like that. Yeah, not, not someone who is a bench player, but someone who you would be. I mean, um, you can't leave off the best shooter of all time. And, and, yeah. Ever, uh, and change the game like nobody else has. I'm going to say Magic, Jordan, Larry Bird, LeBron, and Tim Duncan. Yeah. With, I don't know, it's impossible. Um, I don't know. I got. I don't even have a bench player. <laughs> um, you got me with Steph Curry. I'm like, yeah, maybe that guy is the, should be a starter. You know, again, yeah. yeah. it's kind of more like if you're going to fill out the squad of the greats, you know, it's like I would, you know, I just, I, I you know, I, how do you not put Kareem on the team? I know it's not like that he shouldn't be there in terms of, you know, six MVPs and what, six rings, I think, you know, it's, it's yep. incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and to do it again, and talk, the about, talk, leading scorer. And talk about longevity. Like, you know, he won the yep. NBA, you know, finals MVP and in what in his like late thirties, you know, it's incredible. Yep. So yeah, yep. I don't, I love, I love Kareem, but you know, there's something about that mix. I just think there's something about those, those mid eighties, mid eighties, Larry Bird could be like the greatest player ever. You know what uh, I mean? Definitely. Like, it's like yep. those three MVPs in a row. It was just, and like, if he was in this game and we were talking about this the other day, it was, you know, and he, he'd be shooting 15 threes a game. I mean, he'd just yep. be unfucking stoppable, you know? Um, so it's like, you know, it's like, I think Larry Bird is sort of now, you know, out of that. Picture. I mean, I think Larry Bird at his peak was a better player than Magic Johnson. Uh, yeah, you were saying that the other day. I just, yeah, I, you know. I think Larry Bird, those three MVPs in a row, there was he was untouchable in the yeah. NBA. It's um, just just totally incredible. And like, if you even look at his numbers, scoring, assists, and rebounding, I mean, in that span, like they were LeBron numbers. Like he was like oh, a twenty-seven, totally. seven, and seven yeah. kind. Of, it's just incredible. And I mean, you know, he really he's got the best anecdotes. Uh, yeah. You know, he's another one that's like a superhero type of figure. Uh, yeah, you, you know, know, almost like the, old, yeah. He was like the Steph Curry story where he's like, I'm going to hit the game winner right there in your face. And then he does it. 
he was, yeah, he was like the Steph Curry of his age, kind of, you know what I mean? You know, it was like when he won that three point contest and just put his finger up in the air, it was like, totally. <laughs> you know, it was like, that's a bad man. You know, it's just like, un, you know, unbelievable. And I have no doubt that he wouldn't in his prime would make mincemeat of just having the green light to shoot threes off of screens. You know what I mean? Like, and just the screens he could set in the peck and pick and roll game, and he'd be fucking. Oh, he'd run your sure, offense through him, and he'd pick your team apart. Yeah, and hit every shot he and wanted. I'm, and I'm sure if, and that's the thing to me, because when I think about LeBron's greatest game, it's the game seven against the Spurs in 2013 or 2014. More than the game six against the Celtics. Yes, because he. he you know, he won a, he won the tie again. It's, it's hard to, you know, it's like picking between my children, but it's <laughs> like, it's like he, you know, he won a game seven. I mean, you know, that's the other thing with, you know, I mean, now you could say Jordan didn't play in a lot of game sevens, but LeBron's game, he's the best game seven player ever in the history of the NBA. You know totally. I mean? Bill Russell far. has an incredible record, but I, I don't know. I, it's hard to say there was eight teams in the league and he was the tallest guy in the league. And, you know, LeBron would be Bill Russell if he, you know, he's bigger than Bill Russell to give you some perspective. So, yep. so to me, LeBron, greatest game seven performer ever. And, you know, he, By he goes, but, but this is the greatness of it. You know, he goes 12 of 23 from the floor, five for 10 from three, you know, hits the game winning jump shot. You know what I mean? It was his Larry Bird game. You know what I mean? Yep. Like he came out there and looked like Larry Bird. You yep. know what I mean? And it's like, that just, that's how talented that guy is. You know what I mean? Like he had just like, Jordan had could change his game over time. It was like soaking LeBron. You know what I mean? He could. He's the only guy besides Jordan that could go work on something in the off season and then master it the next year. You know what I yep. mean? The rest of them, it's like, oh, he went and spent time with Elijah, and you're just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's not going to make any difference. LeBron's like, ah, this off season, I put this into my game, and I think that's more common now. But but what's interesting with the Heat, he played more on the block and more down. He didn't, you know, Mario Chalmers brought up the ball a lot more. Yeah. Um, and, and he was so much more efficient. I mean, ridiculous. I think one year he shot like 58% from the field or something ridiculous. Um, and it was, you know, I would yeah. love, and it, but then it seems like when he left, he went right back to kind of where he was before the Heat. You kind of know he has that piece to his game. Yeah, um, but I mean, I th- imagine it's more the right. So he can just do it all, all over the floor. I, I uh, feel like, yeah, I feel like when he left the Heat and went back to the Cavs, he sort of reached that level that Jordan had in the last couple years, which is like, I just know how to win. Like, if I get into these yep. games, I'm going to win. I'm going to figure it out. It's like yep. I have all the moves now. Like, I'm physically, you know, it's LeBron's incredible physically, and LeBron was incredible, you know, in those last year in Miami and first few years and in in Cleveland but the but but LeBron like year three and year four and year five was just a was a force in the game like un, you know just like Carl Malone but a point guard and shooting threes totally. and just un, you know un, unbelievable and that's kind of like that's again going back to the documentary that era for Jordan that part of his career was so exciting and it was so exciting for LeBron like it's so exciting for Giannis now where he just goes out and just fucking cleans these teams' clocks. And it's not about, can he get a chip? And, you know, all the narrative drama. It's just like, on a night-to-night basis in the league, he's just wrecking other teams. And it's so exciting, you know what I mean, to watch. And that was just always such a special part of all of it for, like, any of these guys, you know, before the kind of, you know, 
ESPN, you know, talk circle of when were they going to win a ring and are they in the conversation for the code and before all that gets into it, before it's, yeah, you know, it's like, they, how did this all happen? It's like the crossfire model took over sports, you know, and, and, and news, you know, the two talking heads that yell at each other all day about meaningless shit. Totally, totally, uh, totally. You know, and, and, and like they've well, made a cottage yeah. industry of it now. It's like really I, ridiculous. Yeah. I also think it's what pays the bills. You know what I mean? Totally, it's like yeah. it, that's how valuable that is to ESPN because it's like 24 hours a day of programming, you know, yep. and all that stuff. So it's a double-edged sword. But, yeah, it's really – the hyperbole is, you know, is, is super, super obnoxious. What about – It's super obnoxious. The, uh, I find myself tur- – I used to be entertained by it, but now it's just annoying. I'm just, I just – I don't – yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Like, there's a right answer, and you know. Anyway, yeah. what about greatest team of all time? This documentary make you think? Oh, the '96 Bulls is the '96. I mean, we already kind of talked about that, but are the Bulls are? Is there one incarnation of the Jordan Bulls you think is the best team of all time, or is it another team is the best team of all time? I mean, I can't speak to before I started watching basketball, you know, I mean, I can, I, you know, I remember the eighties Lakers and Celtics, obviously the Pistons and Bulls. Um, Prior to that, 60s Celtics, no clue. You know, I never saw any of that. But since you – I think that's a super the, the fair way to do it. The best team by far that's obscene is that Warriors team with Durant. I mean, yeah. that's just like, – <laughs> you know, like it was just – as soon as it happened, it was like, do I even need to watch the next three seasons? Like, yeah. you know, I mean, it was just beyond absurd. I think that 2017 team is just – that's it. Like, what else is – they win, what, like 67 or 68 games. They lose one game. They go 12-1. Yeah. Like and one. <laughs> You know, it's just – Like, nobody beats that team yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just – it, it yeah. wasn't even – it almost shouldn't count. Like, it was that ridiculous, in my view. Um, you take a 73-9 and nine team who loses to LeBron and the Cavs in seven games in a ridiculous series. And LeBron is insane. Um, And that block that he pins on the board is just insane. I was actually overseas watching that game. Um, And then they turn around and add Kevin Durant, you know, arguably the best player, second best player in the league. who's unstoppable, you know, Uh, it's absurd. Totally. Totally. So, yeah. Um, There's no way. And the only reason Toronto won is all those guys got hurt. They would have won every year until they got sick of it. So, so shifting gears a little bit. Yep. So is that your view as well? They're the best team you've ever I, seen. I think they're the they're the best team. I mean, yeah, it was just sure. such a such an obscene amount of talent, and then add then yeah. just add Durant, and it's totally like you know I, who when anybody plays head to head, I just think. You Again, literally just, have three of the be- f- best four shooters of all time on that team. You know, maybe Ray Allen would be the fourth. And it's like you see the you, bird. Know, you see these '90s games, and they're like 79 to 76 or 83, yeah. 84. You're just like, yeah, you don't know what's coming. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, so yeah, there's I, never I, been a team like that. Yeah, that, that was obscene. I'm so glad it's over. It, it's yes. like, yeah, it was just sucked. It really sucks. <laughs> So yeah. shifting gears shifting gears a little bit um in terms of other sports documentaries out there so what yep. are your favorite sports documentaries what would you recommend what 
And is The Last Dance one of them? Has it been your top five? So I haven't done a lot of research on this. I know I've seen a bunch of sports documentaries. I mean, definitely entertainment value, and particularly at this time in our lives with this pandemic, it was amazing to watch that every Sunday and relive it all. And, you know, uh, I mean, but you could just put on 10 hours of Michael Jordan highlights, and I would have loved it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, I think, over text, but, uh, you know, that OJ documentary – um what is one of the most incredible things i've ever seen yeah Uh, that was amazing and you know it just it's hard to compete with this because there's just so much more to that story that's important and relevant to our lives and society and culture and justice and race and uh all of that this story just can't compete i mean if anything this was very you know this documentary was very shallow like it was like fun and exciting and interesting but it wasn't there wasn't much to it like i didn't it's not going to change anything about my life or make me think about something differently i heard somebody call it a documercial yeah <laughs> it was, was like good... come fly with me 2.0 yeah. it was fun um with some dra- with some fun drama that really doesn't matter um but the OJ doc, when they, they go back to his, you know, days at USC, they go through the whole story, Rodney King, you know, when you when they get to the verdict, you're like, oh, yeah, now I really understand why the verdict went down this way. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, and, and on top of it, the whole sports element and, you know, how he was the first kind of Michael Jordan, the first black athlete to kind of pierce the mainstream corporate veil for you know for a, for yeah. a black athlete um and you know so loved and same kind of michael jordan kind of took on that persona as similar of like everyone likes me and i'm gonna say all the right things and smile and drink coke and mcdonald's and um and yeah just that trial and you know is one of the more seminal events in our history and so i think the complexity of that and all the different angles and the way it was put together with his whole story combined with the crime and everything surrounding it and even talking to him or, or his time or it just that that documentary blew me away i need to watch it again actually i thought it was so profound yeah, that was that was epic. That was epic. epic I, yeah. Uh, so I'd say that one, but I mean, obviously, there's a lot more going on in that than just sports. Um, so that that's the one that jumps out. Uh, the two Escobars, I thought was awesome too. I don't know if you saw that. That was great. Yeah, that's a great. That that'd be more. The OJ one's a little unfair, I think, because it's about so much more. But yeah, I'd so say the Escobars more. is more in that vein a little bit but i ain't knocking yep. the oj documentary that was amazing <laughs> that was amazing. Totally amazing yeah and, and, and um, i watched the the show that they did the i forgot what it was called but john travolta played the, the attorney and that was great too yeah yeah that was great too but i thought the documentary you know it's just that much more obviously real and totally um you know just more expansive of the whole story and scene in la and things of that nature so yeah so there's um, there Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say there's a few that came to mind for me, and yeah. I, it's not like a list of my top five or anything. I don't know if I thought about it that much. One of them is, I don't think it's been seen by a ton of people, but Ken Burns did a two-part, four-hour documentary on Jack Johnson. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. I saw that. And, yeah. yeah, his story is so just incredible, incredible and unbelievable, and you know, not just his story 
Um, like talk about a guy that kind of lived life the way he wanted to live it, no matter what the boundaries mm-hmm. of society were. It's just incredible. Um, yep. What he took on and what he challenged in America in the early part of the 20th century as a black athlete is just unbelievable and, and, and dominated at his sport. And it's an incredible Lost story. at every turn. Yeah, incredible story. Just I had no idea. And it was riveting to me. It was riveting to me. Um, I think that there's the Ken Bur- also in the Ken Burns vein, the Ken Burns baseball documentary is, I mean, it's really long. It was nine parts and then they did a 10th part. But in particular, I think they, it was the fourth installment was called Two Hours and it was called Shadow Ball. And it was all about the history of Negro League Baseball and sort of where it fits in. And that was incredible. Um, mm-hmm. an, an incredible documentary series, you know, but what yep. stands out to me was that one episode in particular. Um, of, of course, you know, Oscar winning and, you know, lauded by everyone. But When We Were Kings is amazing. And in oh, fact, yeah, amazing. When Forgot We Were Kings... That is what more it's what well, I was looking for more out of this, like this verite experience. Yeah. Like we were there, like, here's the footage. Like that movie wasn't really about Ali's career. It was about, this is the story about Muhammad Ali. And they right. told you his whole story, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a biography, you know, it was like, we're here and here's this unbelievable footage, like footage so good that there, no one ever needs to do anything else about Ali ever again. Like he right. plays himself in his own movie. It is, just incredible so when we were kings yeah and there's just so much more depth to that story too right i mean it's just in my you know the whole going to africa and the, yeah you know, following yeah all of that. there's yeah. a lot so many levels so many levels so many levels um, yeah the now and that not, fuji song i remember yeah that movie was awesome. i wouldn't from the soundtrack yeah from the, i wouldn't and uh I wouldn't put this as the greatest documentary I've ever seen, but it surprised me and it's an NBA documentary. So I wanted to mention it is the Kobe documentary that he made. And really? I never saw it. I don't it's think. I, I, it was on, it was on Showtime. I think, you know, he produced it himself. The Spike Lee one. No, no, that's a different one. That's interesting. That doing work. Yeah. This is, it's basically, the backstory of the documentary, which was very funny at the time, was like basically Kobe was producing a documentary about his life and career. I think it was like kind of leading up to his retirement, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they did endless interviews with people and Kobe watched the cut, you know, and he's like, no, I want to get rid of all these people and I just want to do the talking. Wow. And it's two hours with Kobe Bryant, like breaking down his career um, including the incident in Colorado. I mean, he doesn't get deep into it, but he certainly acknowledges it in a, and is at least in a human way. I felt like whatever. I, I'm not excusing his behavior, but I also don't know what happened at the end of the day either. Right. Um, and it was, you know, he really talked about himself and his life and who he was, and he talked about being, you know, an 18 year old kid just like in love with his girlfriend and going to play hoops every day. And, you know, and yeah. kind of that turning into something else. And he talked about what a fucking shit he was as a young person and, you know, how he behaved and, you know, had some perspective on it. And I never thought in a million years, I would watch that documentary and do anything, but kind of smirk at Kobe having to just be the focal point of his own documentary, but it worked, you know, yeah. and it was, uh, you know, and, you know, and obviously he's, 
you know, and, and it's, you know, it's not like you have to twist my arm to get me to watch awesome Kobe highlights too. Like there's that yeah. part of it. It's a basketball documentary, but it was a surprise. And I thought that, you know, Michael Jordan could have taken a little more of a page from his, you know, from what Kobe's network book. is that on the Kobe? I think it was where? on, I think it ended up being on Showtime. Okay. And I don't What's know where it is know? now. I think if you just Google, I don't know. I, I'll I could, Google it. Yeah. I could look it up and I will get you a name for sure. Okay. But I, yeah. you know, um, and then the last one I want to talk about. I came about, to like Kobe a lot more as he got older and retired. He just seems like, he really seems like a brilliant man and really interesting guy and a deep guy. Um, definitely hated him in his, during his career. Um, you know, and obviously his death was so awful, but, um, Anyway, yeah. But again, that style of play, right, that I was referring to, that LeBron is the antithesis of that, like, shoot first, team revolves around me, just never liked it. Um, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, everything is – I got to find the name of that movie. But, yeah, it was, you know, it was like two hours, and it was all Kobe. You know, he does all the talking, and it was interesting. It was – it was he, you know, he – he was a good filmmaker, I guess. You know what I mean? He yeah. knew what the film needed and it, it worked. It was a risk. And like I said, I laughed at it, you know, going into it, but it really worked. Yeah. And then the final one to see I want to talk about, or I was going to mention was the Diego Maradona doc that was on mm. HBO Maradona, Maradona, I'm going to get killed, but um, it was on HBO not that long ago was absolutely incredible. It was a, again, like when we were Kings, it was a trove of verite footage that they found of basically. And the main thrust of the story, and I knew nothing about Maradona except for his time, you know, in world cup play for Argentina. I really didn't know about his professional career outside of international play. Yep. And it's this incredible story about how he basically is like a, a young, brilliant player. And he, you know, all these players, you know, they leave Argentina and they go to Europe because that's where the money is. So he goes to a big, you know, he goes to Real or Barcelona. I can't remember for like a year and it's a total bust. Mm -hmm. So he ends up going to the Italian league and playing for Naples and Naples is like at the bottom of the league. And not only that, like Naples is like the most discriminated region of Italy. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? So there are yep. these people and like, they show the games and they show the songs where like the people in, in Milan and these other cities, like their songs are like your dogs in Naples. And I mean, it's just <laughs> racist yeah. and horrible. And the people of Naples rally behind Maradona and he leads them to the, to the title in the league, you know what I oh, mean? Wow. The champions yeah, will play. It's, it's really incredible. And the, and it's, you know, so that's sort of the backdrop. And the team is owned by the Gamora, by the mafia. You know what I mean? And like, literally he's in his press conference. There's a film of him in his introductory press conference. And they're like, what does it feel like to like play for a team owned by the mob? And the owner is sitting next to him, like wearing like dark glasses and they like cover the mic and they threaten the reporter. That's it's awesome. unbelievable footage. So, but wow. you know, he puts the city on his back and you know, he's this Argentinian guy and they he is beloved and they win you know and it's incredible and they yeah. go into all these towns that are just such you know kind of these elitist yeah. places where the money is in italy and you know there's a lot of income inequality saw that in play out in the pandemic uh, from what i was hearing about italy yeah. the north you know spread um, in the north and a lot of resentment from the south and how the north always looks down on the south and i mean i don't know the dynamics no, no, that's no, to hearing totally that yeah, but they went into all these towns and they and he led them and they kicked their ass and it was a, that was a crazy story and the team's owned by the mob and he's living this out of control life and there's 
all this incredible footage, you know, like, you know, film, 16 millimeter film footage of him playing. And it was really extraordinary. I mean, I'm a soccer fan. I'm not a huge fan, but it was, it was really awesome. So that was sort of the last one as I was thinking about sports docs, like those were all, you know, really good movies and somehow touched me on a deeper level than the the last dance. But the last dance was a lot of fun. Like we certainly, you know, you know, we were sitting up every Sunday night for two hours watching it. And, you know, going back to one of your earlier questions, I think one thing that surprised me a little bit was I thought by the end of the film, and again, I know it's a documentary and Jordan sat down for like two or three interviews, but he just seemed like a sad character to me, you know, like a sad old bitter man um, who had just, you know, and, and I, I don't think anybody on planet Earth can even imagine what it's like to be in that bubble and that level of fame and in the spotlight and everywhere you walk and what that has to do to your brain and your ego and and how you view yourself and all the energy you expend and all of that, but, um, and how that plays into your development as a human being. But man, he just seemed like a sad, bitter guy. Uh, just, you know, it's kind of painful to see a little bit. I, I almost don't even want to see the human side of Michael Jordan. I just want to live with the superhero images, you know, yeah, um, like, definitely. It's good. like, let's leave it there. Like, you know, I lo- you know, for what you represented in my life, like I, you know, like let's just it's fine like some almost like we have too much information now about people and it's um and so it reminded me of a time where in america and our lives where it was just a it's different era different culture and it's just like where have we come and where are we at now and just how would that guy be perceived now and um and, and just and it just seemed like a sad older guy who just you know it's never going to be enough. You can't let it go. You know, like just. I agree. I, I hate to end this podcast on like that note, but I feel yeah, like that's where right. it's kind of going for me too. A little bit is like, you know, even in the goat conversation, it's like LeBron, you know, there's just joy there. It's like, Jordan, yeah, there's joy. Just, you know, uh, now certainly when, when, Le, when Jordan steals the ball from, steals the ball from Carl Malone and goes down the court and hits that shot. It's like, there's a lot of joy, like, you know, for sure. Yeah. And that's what it's about. I know, but yeah, it's just, there's been more time and it was just, you know, it just, it seemed to me such a great opportunity for him to like open up more and just be able to say, damn, like I was kind of a dick, you know what I mean? But that's okay. Like no one's going to, no one's going to like hold it over his head, but it was like just that he didn't really even see it. It was almost like, the interviewer was throwing him softballs to sort of like get into this stuff. And he just could only kind of take it so far as just, you know, kind of limited. And, and, and that's sort of what I liked. I felt like about the early part of it is it showed you sort of the way he knew early on, like he was a smart guy. He was going to make these decisions and maximize, you know, his exposure and the money that he made. And, you know, he could, you know, he could act, you know, that's where it was, just, it was too much about the bulls and it needed to be more about him. Like the guy could act in a movie that grossed a hundred million dollars. Like he had, you know, he was good when he hosted Saturday Night Live. It was like, he's yep. an interesting guy that did all this interesting stuff. And it was I saw just, that the other day. Actually, and, it was on. It was yeah. Funny. And then when they do the documentary, it's like, and then we beat Indiana, you know, it's like, and I yep. whipped their ass and I whipped their ass. And it was like, yeah, it was fun in your hall of fame speech. I admit like getting a kick out of it, but it just doesn't hold up as well i guess so maybe that's not his fault or he's just the same kind of he's he's like he's like charles foster 
scene. He's going to be like, you know, yeah. at the end. No, I remember like, he did that video with Michael Jackson, like, you know, the, just, yeah. I mean, it was like beyond the fame was insane. I mean, every you know, corner of the globe. I mean, he was one of the three or four guys to come in and give Spike the money to finish Malcolm X. Like, I mean, it's right, not yeah. like he's, you know, he endorsed Bill Bradley when he ran for president. I mean, there was yeah. like more to get into. It was just like, it just didn't get into any of that. And I almost feel like it needs a part two, you know, like to be like, you know, Michael the man or something that touches on some basketball stuff. I don't know how much is there to be honest. Like, uh, you know, I think he's just, he runs his team. He runs his brand. He stayed out of the limelight in terms of around the NBA. I think he wants away from the spotlight. I I read that in that movie too. And I mean, some of it too, I would say is, you know, he's basically built a business with Nike that it's like a license to print money, you know, like anything else. So it's like, you know, and he's, you know, owns an NBA team. It's just, you know, he's, it's, you know. He's just the coolest, man. Those shoes, the look, the the Bulls 23, the all of it, man. It's just, you know, people are still swept up in it and. I think that's where the, the a lot of the anger towards LeBron is fueled in that like fear that this guy could be maybe better, you know, and like so it's like we must pound on LeBron and you know glorify deify Michael Jordan, which there's reasons to deify him, but it's just that like I think that drives a lot of that hatred of LeBron as people just want to just, don't want any threat to the the throne there. Yeah, or threat to their like kind of mem- you know like somehow their memory must be protected at all costs even if it's not exactly real totally. it's a very it's a very strange phenomenon so any any final thoughts any final thoughts um no i think my final thought i think was just about you know two two takeaways one is uh you know just the game and where how it's evolved um and just where it's at now and to deny that and be like the 90s were better the 80s were better is absurd to me um even though everyone seems to make that argument um and two just the trip down nostalgia lane and the whole michael jordan experience and just the last piece was just you know it just seemed like a sad figure it made me a little sad to see actually you know right on right on. guy that had everything uh you know reached every height there can be in humanity and kind of just looks back on it and he's you know a sad older guy with a lot of problems it seems like he has some problems (laughs) (laughs) and some some grudges and whatever but you know maybe you know he was just that's how he comes off in the film and he's really you know who knows but yeah yeah either he's really like that or feels some need to keep playing that role and it's a little you know it's a little disappointing you know what i mean it's just kind of like you know, the world's come a long way and God, it'd be awesome to have Michael Jordan participating in it kind of, you know, and exactly, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's disappointing. Uh, I think his voice, especially when he played would have carried so much weight on any kind of issue and he never chose to use, use that voice. And that's disappointing, but you know, he's every right not to. Totally. Totally. So let's, uh, so let's wrap this up. This is the friends you wish you had podcast of Mark's brothers special edition. Um, I don't know if there's anything about the last dance or Michael Jordan or the bulls that we didn't cover, but maybe there is. So you can let us know. Uh, thank you, Jason, for, uh, for joining in in this conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, brother. This is great. Totally. All right. Take care. Talk to you later.